everybody. Welcome to another episode of A Perfect Saturday Morning. This is a spinoff of our Back in Tunes podcast where we have a guest come on and they discuss basically their ultimate lineup. Any animation, any genre, primetime, daytime, syndicated, anything's open. And I have Tommy Rico here. Hello, Tommy. Hey, sir. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. I don't know why I said like, well, hello, Tommy. You're my victim. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> it's you know what? Kitschy voices are always appreciated. And it's also, I'm just an insufferable dork. Uh, so basically, we're going to go through his lineup of basically the perfect playlist of if you had a whole Saturday morning, you ran your own network, you could choose anything you want. What is the first thing on your list? All right, let's uh, let's rattle through the honorable mentions because there was, uh, I, I definitely killed, have, held to format and I have 10. And I realized I had to whittle it down. Um, there's going to be one honorable mention that I have kicked out because I feel it doesn't belong uh, on an emotional level is The Simpsons, which The Simpsons, I feel like I don't think there's anything that really uh, has directed my sense of humor more than The Simpsons, but it's not a Saturday morning show, nor is it a, a show that I would watch on Saturday morning. Simpsons is just a night, too much of a night thing for me. Uh, love it to death, but it's, it didn't make the list strictly on that. It just felt wrong. Do you feel uh, like I, the longevity of the show has done some damage? I don't think so. I mean, it doesn't take away from what already happened. And I find that if I sit and watch a Simpsons episode that was made yesterday, it's still better than like at least 60% of network television. This is true. I mean, the show, it, it's, it has dipped in quality. There's no question. And they're, you know, they're running in circles. It's 30 years. But I, I, that show has such a connection as far as at the very root of my sense of humor, it's it's got that uh, hold on me, and and you know a lot of the a lot of the seminal um, Conan O'Brien episodes, and th those are the ones that really really still work for me. And uh, losing Phil Hartman obviously didn't help either. No, no. But it's still, I, I mean, and the worst it could be is not Old Simpsons. That's that's the absolute worst the show could be. The two things they did that was smart was changing the focus from Bart to Homer and also expanding its universe. You know, instead of just sticking to the main core, you know, some episodes are just about random characters, you know, and that really builds that massive universe. Plus, it helps with merch. <laughs> Tons of toys. Yeah. Yeah, I think when they were on their third or fourth exotic pet, I checked out. <laughs> but it's I, a lot of it, too, is, you know, you get older and your tastes change. And for me, television... When stand-up become a part of my life, I was 25 years old when I started. Well, you got to go out to do that. So I was watching less TV just as a, you know, as a rule because I was out all the time trying to hustle and trying to get out there and learn my craft. So there's big like swaths of my TV watching life that there's, it ebbs and flows. And, and you know, obviously I watched a lot more when I was a kid, and um, and now I have a kid. And he kind of bereft my television watching. And I find that I'm much happier watching children's television anyway. I'm so much happier watching cartoons and, uh, you know, kid movies than I am adult stuff. Adult stuff is just so cringeworthy to me. It's a lot of stuff I find phony and treacly. And, like, every, you know, I, I know so many grown-ups that love to watch uh, This Is Us. And my wife will watch it, and I'll watch it in the background. i got to leave the room because if I start <laughs> make, making fun of it, She's gonna want me to leave, so I leave before that happens. It, it, uh, there is a. I just. It, it's that, or it's extremely cynical. It's, there's no middle ground anymore. 
and for me, uh, kids' movies and, and children's television seems to have that engine that adult stuff is just, okay, this is going to scare you. This You're going to laugh at this fart joke. And then, like, it's so unbelievably boxed in and simple. And I find that, you know, I, I watch way too much uh, kid stuff, but it makes me happy. Um, but let me, let me throw all these uh, names out there for honorable mention just to get them out of the way. Okay. Uh, the very British Danger Mouse. Um, I was a huge arcade and video game kid growing up, so Pac-Land showed up in there, if only just for the theme song. Uh, <laughs> Are we talking the, the 82 series? Because I know there's a oh, new yeah. one. Okay, yeah. I love that. This, the family sitcom, basically, in the video game world. Yeah, the Netflix one that they made, it gave it a whole, like, universe. And, like, no, 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 no. Pac-Man is just a yellow thing eating dots. <laughs> you, don't have to, you don't have to build a mythology around it. It is what it is. Yeah. Um, I, I put the Smurfs slash Snorks. Um, <laughs> Smurf. The, the, uh, the sad thing is, like, when my kid was uh, about two years old, I started introducing him to simpler cartoons. And I put the Smurfs on, and I shut it off after, like, two minutes. It has not aged well at all. It's really, really boring. There um, is a psychotic episode of that, though, where they get bit. One of them gets bit by a bee or something like that, and he turns purple, and he starts biting oh, everybody on the butt. The gnap, gnap, gnap. Yeah, yeah, the gnap episode. That's terrifying. <laughs> it's zombie they Smurfs. <laughs> they, all turn, they all turn purple. I remember being really scared of that as a kid. Uh that is the only real, like, a very special episode of the Smurfs because everything else, there's real simple storylines that they follow. Um, also, I, I find as I've grown up that, uh, you know, I don't call myself a feminist because I feel like it cheapens the cause. I'm not, I'm not marching. I'm not doing anything. I'm just not a dick. Um, but I find that when I go back and I see all these male-dominated shows, like, it's kind of cringeworthy. It feels kind of gross. And Smurfs in particular, where there's one female character. Jesus. <laughs> it, there is a lot of that um, token, like that one, just to sell merch to a girl. Like, could you actually just develop? You know, you, I just don't understand why they were so lazy with this. It was super lazy. Um, there, there's In the honorable mention, there's stuff that probably could have cracked the top ten, like Muppet Babies. and Because Muppet, Muppet Anything really for me is fine. Uh, Muppet Babies in particular is very funny. It was very hip. Uh, didn't make the list. Uh, there's a some anime, like early anime, like G Force or Battle of the Planets, uh, Voltron, which is mid '80s anime uh, that everybody knows. Uh, I really liked Alvin and the Chipmunks from '83. Uh, it didn't make the list, and I found that if I really wanted to. My top ten could almost entirely have been Spider-Man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, you know what? In the right, there's so many of them. Spider-Man and Batman. I'm like, well, which one do I choose? Well, obviously, I'm going to go with this one, this one. But there's so many like side notes to choose. Yeah, Spider-Man '67 aired on uh, Boston's Channel 25 real early in the morning every day. So, and I loved it. I, I mean, it, the animation was poor, uh, but it was at least better than the previous thing that they did with, uh, you know, like the Avengers. Mm -hmm. Where it was just, it was literally they just kind of animated uh, blocks of uh, from the comics, like it, it was really really poor. But Spider Man '67 was on almost every day, and I watched it every single day. It depressed me to no end when they took it off the air. Uh, Spider Man and his amazing friends from '81, uh, I like it 
except that that was the first indication that my love for the Spider-Man comic books was going to color any perception I had of Spider-Man related media because that show is a hot mess. I mean, he's got a weird, uh, like, Zuckerberg, Bill Gates apartment where everything becomes <laughs> a computer. And then uh, I liked Firestar. I thought, I, you know, even though she wasn't canon, I really liked her. Uh, and Iceman, obviously, was cool. But it was... And also, the weirdness of having a Peter Parker that was like... He looked like a 40-year-old porn star. <laughs> he had, like, this... He, he really did not, he didn't look anything like Peter Parker should. He had this like odd wavy hair and he wore like turtlenecks under collared shirts and all. All he needed was a gold chain. He just looked really like swarthy and creepy. Um, so even though I watched the show every single week, it was, uh, it's not good. I've watched clips of it recently and been horrified. And I really liked Ultimate Spider-Man from Disney XD because that kind of connected it to the greater universe and uh, it, uh, the stories were good, uh, but there is there is Spider-Man on my actual list. Um, also, not making the list, Looney Tunes, Tom and Jerry, Popeye, all of which, uh, as an adult now, there's there's some serious problematic stuff in all of those. Uh, but and also, I'm one of those guys that I grew up with the originals, so you know because it was cheap programming for local TV to put on. Anything that was created. Like from the seventies on, from those characters, I can't stand. Them. Oh so yeah, when they do like, the remakes, no, no, I hate when they do that. Like Popeye and Sons or Pink Panther and Sons. Like, oof, just stop, yep. please. No, nothing bothers me more than the fact that Space Jam exists. Oh my it god, thank so you. <laughs> I can't so stand terrible. it. <laughs> it's god, it's god awful. It's just that you know those characters weren't. They were meant to be hit for their time, not ours. And I find that anything that brings them into. Uh, you know, current pop culture is just a huge fail. Um, How do you feel you know, about Back in Action, though? I really like Back in Action. I didn't see it, um, partly because I hate Space Jam so much. Well, here's the thing is that Joe Dante had a huge love for those characters, and he said, look, I mean, he came to the studios like, Space Jam was a huge hit, but it wasn't, it didn't know anything about the characters. It didn't care about the characters. I love them. I'm going to treat them right. And yes, the movie's a huge flop because Warner Brothers was stupid enough to release it a week after Elf, which they also owned, so they just cannibalized their own audience. But it's a really fun romp. No, it's, it does not capture the magic of the old cartoons, but it gets there. It's a fun adventure. Of course, Brendan Fraser's a human cartoon anyway, so he fits in nice. Yeah. But that's a movie that seriously needs more uh, people like paying attention to it because it really was a, a, a good love letter to the whole world that you know of the Looney Tunes. I think it's the only Joe Dante movie I've never seen because I'm a huge fan. Oh, have you seen the whole? Because nobody's seen the whole. They were uh, digging up the X <laughs> or oh, burying the X. Burying the X. You know what? I you are correct. I have not seen that either. Yeah, it's he's down. And most of these directors that we loved growing up, they've definitely kind of like they're ending their cycle. Well, I you know I saw the Burbs the other day, and I haven't seen it in like twenty years, and it really holds up. It's still great. Yeah, it's Joe Dante is a seriously underrated director. Only a couple hits in his belt. Well, we're way off cartoons here, aren't we? I'm gonna make this episode go yep. forever. This yep. is what totally. I do. Sorry, stopping. Oh. All, right. <laughs> um, All right, let's 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 hit uh, let's hit the perfect playlist. Well, before we hit the first one, since we had a warm up, I'm just curious. Um, breakfast wise, what did, were you a cereal or a savory guy? 
Okay, I had to go cereal, uh, and here's the thing, though. There was no sugary cereals allowed in my house. What? What? Yeah, no. My father was a huge health nut. My father was like a bodybuilder back when there was like two bodybuilders in Massachusetts. He was one of them. So he refused to have any kind of like, uh, you know, high fructose corn syrup type stuff. He was ahead of the curve. So I used to have just awful, you know, cardboard brand type flakes. Uh, but that's what we had. That's what we had. Yeah, no, there was no fun. Uh, well, no that's fun why you look like Dorian Gray. I mean, you're older uh, than me, but you look like a decade younger than me. Well, two, yeah, two years ago, I looked like I ate Dorian Gray. So, I, <laughs> oh, you know, I, 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 I found myself, you know, I, I put on sympathy weight, which is not an excuse. It's a real thing that happens. And, uh, you know, my, my wife had our son four years ago and all of a sudden, like two years in, I found as he was getting stronger and more energetic and heavier, I'm just like, man, my back always hurts. And, oh, man, I'm starting to look puffy. And, you know, comedians don't necessarily have to be beautiful people. But here's the thing. I live in Los Angeles, and this is a place that uh, celebrates youth and beauty. And when you start starting uh, on that path where you have neither of them, it gets a little scary. So uh, put myself on a diet and got myself back in shape again and, I do have some, I think, above-average genes. My mom's Cuban, and my dad's uh, Italian. And even though he's got a messed-up back from years of bodybuilding poorly, uh, he, wrecked, he wrecked his back because he was so strong that he would, like, rack the machine. So there was never enough weight for him, so we would pile on more plates, and he destroyed his back. Oh. So, But he's, yeah, he's, he's, uh, he's in his late 70s, and he's still in very good shape. And, and you know, uh, I... I wanna, I wanna try to when I when I finally get that first network TV appearance, I don't want to look uh, horrible. Right, so, you want you want to record it and then not go. Oh, oh. <laughs> which, I, yeah, well, and that's the thing is that the one thing that has kind of eluded me in my career because I've had I, I've had a super fun career. I've I've gotten to work everything from tiny bar shows in front of two people to like a couple thousand people. I've opened for national acts. I, I've done a really lot of fun stuff, fun stuff in stand-up, and the one thing that has eluded me is that TV credit, and it it consumed me and it poisoned me for a while, and now it's just one of those things where it's like, you know what? I love what I do. I don't know how to do anything else. I'm not going to quit anytime soon. So if it comes, it comes. And also, uh, my on-stage character and my real-life character have merged, and uh, I'm kind of a grouch. And you know what? Nobody wants to see a fresh-faced youthful-looking grouch. It doesn't work. <laughs> so I kind of had to I had to age into my character. I had to age into, like, I, I've always been an old soul, and I've always been kind of a crank. And, you know, when you have a moon face and, like, uh, you know, muscles and stuff, nobody wants to hear that from, like, a 25-year-old. <laughs> so I had to, I had to kind of, like, you know, put in the work of just aging into the real me. And it's starting to work now. Even though I look younger, I definitely don't look like a college kid anymore. I keep wondering how much longer I can pull off this, like, Peter Pan. Yes, I'm bald. But for some reason, everybody still thinks I'm <laughs> in my 20s, and I, it's confusing to me. But I don't look like people I graduated with. It's weird. And then I just, like, have this kind of weird kid-like – I don't know how to explain it, but um, uh, disarming way of, like – I can say, like, the filthiest fucking joke in the planet, but yet because of the way I say it, <laughs> and I say, like, with, like, I have, like, this, like, little – Almost like a David Spade kind of charm, um, without the sleep. You know, I yeah. don't know. It's it's hard to explain, but I just wonder how many more years do I have before this is like horrifying. 
No, youth, youthful energy is a real thing, and it keep it does keep you young. Uh, I don't know. What happens is is that you know the people you graduated with, and and some of the people that I graduated with, life just hits them in the face like a Mack truck, and it's just they chose a different path. And a lot of you know a lot of people who are in tough fields, or they're in physical labor, or they're just working a job that they can't stand, but they can't leave. Man, that takes a toll on you. It takes a toll on your health, and it sure takes a toll on on your looks. And I know people. I'm 43, uh, unless you're in the industry and listening to this, in which case you didn't hear that. <laughs> and I, I know people that easily look 20 years older than me that are the same age or younger, and that's it's it's not fair. But I think part of it is keeping a youthful bent, and even you know we we're all tied to stuff we don't want to do or don't like to do. But the more miserable you are about it, the more it takes a toll on on your overall health and the way you look. A few years ago, I was going white, not gray, white. My hair was just going straight up white, and I don't dye my hair. I just don't have that level of vanity. But I was terrified because I'm like, man, I'm going to be like uh, John Slattery in another six months. But when I changed my diet, and I was I was just really upset because I wasn't getting out uh, doing stand-up enough, and I was just kind of feeling sorry for myself. And as soon as I changed my diet and got some exercise and felt a little better about myself, my hair started growing in brown again. Whoa! <laughs> and that's, and that's, a re, that's a real thing. And, I mean, there's pictures of me from a few years ago where my entire, all my sides are super Mr. Fantastic white. And I still have, like, salt and pepper now. But, man, I mean, I was going straight white before. And it was strictly because of uh, a lack of focus on my health, both mentally and physically. So you've never indulged in the sugary, even as an adult, where you're like, hmm, Captain Crunch, oh, uh, Count Chocula, stuff like that. Oh, hell yeah. No, I, as I got older, especially in my 20s, because, you know, you're hanging out with your friends and you're, you're waking up drunk in other people's houses. Uh, I think my favorite sugary cereal is probably Apple Jacks. Um, but other than that, uh, you know what? It's, sugary cereals are fun for the first, like, three bites. And then when the reality of what you're spooning into your face starts kicking in, you're just like, ah, this is, I'm, I'm eating diabetes. This has to stop. Yeah. Well, I mean, well plus you, you have, you're not accustomed to it. I know people who still like, okay, I say this, I'm being a hypocrite. I have been known to buy, oh, uh, this is embarrassing. I bought a case of blueberry, a case, which oh, is 12 yeah. boxes, because you couldn't get it on the West Coast for a long time, not even during Halloween. And I remember getting to that 10th box going, what have I done? I couldn't. I couldn't even eat the last few boxes. I gave them away, and I did. I have not eaten a marshmallow cereal since. It it kind of just deletes your senses when you when you're eating like that powerful a sweet taste. There's just no there's no subtlety to it, and there's there's a point where an adult body just goes no no throw it away throw it in the sink you're done you just cut it out. Also, uh, man, for a while I was having. Um, Honey Nut Cheerios on a fairly regular basis, and I'm not saying that that's exactly what put the extra 20 pounds on me, but I know it didn't help. Uh, but I, w- I would much rather have like a sugar breakfast of like uh, like some pancakes or uh, you know some pastries from a, a local bakery or something like that. I would so much rather have that than any kind of processed stuff. Yeah, uh, processed stuff, and I just I just see the. The skull and crossbones on those boxes, I, I can't go there. Yeah, it's mostly granola and yogurt and stuff like that for me. And, you know, with food, 
you know, you kind of have to modify. The same thing kind of with cartoons is sometimes you have to look at it with nostalgia but with the grip on reality because some of the stuff that I loved as a kid, I was like, oh, man, I haven't seen this in like 20 years. And you're like, oh, was I a stupid child? No, no, don't, don't, don't insult yourself. It was just of that time period, you really didn't have any other choices because you and I grew up in an era where the most popular cartoons – were either reruns, you know, like the package deals with Looney Tunes and stuff like that, or commercials for toys. It was a 30-minute commercial for toys. It was really rare to have something unique uh, that was popular until I think DuckTales came around and started like re, uh, you know, like reintroducing like high-quality animation and stories to a new audience. Yeah, I, I really uh, DuckTales kind of came around when I was already over it. Like I was. I was aging out of Saturday morning cartoons and watching cartoons regularly, though there are a couple items on the list that come uh, after that period, uh, and, and I have such powerful associations with those cartoons because they forced me back. But, uh, but DuckTales, the, I was so happy to see that the reboot is really good and that my son liked it. Oh, good. I, I, got, I got such a kick out of it. He, he really liked it, and he watched the episodes a bunch of times, and it's witty, it's well-written, um, the, the voice acting is fantastic. It was really nice to see them do a, a reboot. And I mean, Disney, Disney gets very little wrong. I'm very pro-Disney. Um, in fact, I, if you look at most of the major motion pictures I've watched over the last, like, I don't know, five years, at least three-quarters of them are Disney. It's a ridiculous percentage. Um, and I'm, because I'm a huge comic book uh, and superhero fan, I love the Marvel movies. Uh, I really like the worst ones are still extremely watchable. And to me, the worst ones are like two or three of them. Like, I don't care for Thor The Dark World. Uh, I don't really care for Iron Man 3. And the Edward Norton Hulk, I pretty much don't even count because, you know, they cast it better later on, even though it's technically part of the MCU canon. But man, like, we sat down the other day and watched uh, Thor Ragnarok. And. It's unbelievable. I would have never dreamed that it would have gotten this good. Like, as a kid growing up and loving that stuff, first of all, I didn't really like Thor growing up. He didn't speak to me. He was a big blonde guy. I wasn't into it. But the fact that as a 43-year-old dude, I'm sitting down and I'm enjoying the hell out of a third Thor film, <laughs> it blows my mind. Yeah, I've never connected to any of, like, the god, like, you know, the you know, like uh, Martian Manhunter, Superman, Wonder Woman, Submariner... Aquaman. Only recently have I gotten to Aquaman. And then Thor, you know, uh, Doctor Strange. The guys who weren't, like, street-level, everyday kind of people who who had the powers, certain characters yeah. I could not connect to. And DC is still struggling for me to connect to them, except for Wonder Woman. But Marvel, Doctor Strange, I couldn't give two craps about Doctor Strange if I tried. And the same thing for same, Thor. Same. Same thing. But you know what, though? The Doctor Strange movie, I loved I really, I, it, it totally got me into the character because as a kid, I felt the same way. It's like, okay, here's a here's a sorcerer that can do anything. Next, like, I, I just didn't care. He just, he was an old guy in a cape who could do anything he wanted, and there was no tension for me. And I, I felt, I kind of felt the same about Thor. Like, and I think that's a huge problem with DC is that DC, all their characters are essentially our gods. There's very little like threat to any of them. And I think they're having a real problem bringing that into the you know the 21st century, yeah, at least film-wise, because I, I, the archetypes of those characters are too good to dismiss, but they're having a real growing pains 
making them into compelling movies. I, I'm uh, not a huge fan of the Wonder Woman movie. And uh, I'm probably the only one. The end. But I, 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 most people I, I talk about it with, that last battle, it just takes you out of it. Like, all of a sudden, it's like everything you're building up to, it's like, th wait, no, this is just another everyday Zack Snyder-style battle. I don't give a shit about any of this. It's a CGI mess. Yeah, yeah every, see, the, the thing that people dismissed was that he still was a huge part of that movie. And everything I don't like about that movie is, like, completely... Uh, his fault. He's the and also the the fetish the fetishization of violence in that film irked me. The slow motion violence, the the, the overuse of slow mo, it just completely took me out of it. And I, I, the other thing that I didn't care for was, again, I'm I'm outrageously pro woman. Uh, I live in an outrageously pro woman household. What I didn't like was, because Wonder Woman was the name on the marquee, that it was a bigger deal that, you know, Black Widow and Gamora were already more compelling female characters in the superhero universe, and no one ever said anything. And Gamora is played by a woman of color, and it just, it's almost like because she's part of an ensemble that it doesn't matter. I love that it seems like in Infinity War she's going to have a much larger uh, role to play. Mm -hmm. um, but it, it, I just, that Wonder Woman... That Wonder Woman movie, I went in with the best of intentions, and uh, I almost fell asleep during it. I watched it by myself late at night, and I just I had no love for it. It was just kind of it was wallpaper. You know, we haven't discussed the list yet. <laughs> nope. Let's nope. Get, we should probably go there. Let's get to it. All right. What is the first thing on your list? I mean, that was a great conversation. So I don't want to dismiss that because I always feel like we should just do a whole episode discussing that. <laughs> well, I we could totally do that. Yeah. But let's get to this perfect right. playlist. So. I was, uh, because I was pretty liberal with my use of the VHS, I could probably have done this back in the day. But So number one on the list, and we'll, we'll put that in the early spot because this is the type of thing that would actually uh, be a good early morning riser for me, is uh, a little show called Force 5, which was a regional show uh, that may not have popped up in your neck of the woods. Yeah, I've never heard of that one. Force 5 is uh, it's, uh, basically five anime giant robot shows that were put together by, I think it's called Jim Terry Productions. Uh, oh, they, they sold them off to a few markets around the country. And basically it was five days a week. And it was a compilation show. There's going to be a couple of those in here. So Force 5 was five days a week. You get five different shows. Monday was Dan Gardace. Tuesday was Star Avengers. Uh, Wednesday was Space Cateers, which was kind of a broad comedy, and it wasn't really a robot show, uh, but it was nonetheless part of Force 5. Four was Grandizer, my favorite, and five was Guy King. Um, I loved the shows because uh, I loved anything, anything huge robot uh, and anything anime, but those shows in particular, they were all different from one another, and unique, but also uh, the, uh, the the two that I loved in particular, Grandizer and Guy King. I still remember episodes to this day, mostly because there's some trauma. Those were anime, and ca their characters would die, and it would break you. Because <laughs> it was, I think, uh, I, I looked it up earlier, each of these shows was only 26 episodes. And uh, so uh, Channel 25 in the Boston area would air 
Force 5, and they would just keep running the 26 episodes. So once they were done, they'd run them again. So you got to know the episodes very well if you liked the show, because they ran it for a while. And then all of a sudden in the early 80s, I'd say maybe 83, 84, they pulled them from the air. Uh, and I think it had something to do with the FCC regulations on uh, children's shows uh, depicting death. <laughs> right. I think that new rule is like they had to start putting in those, you know, like the way G.I. Joe was with, oh, I just say, oh, the more you know, or no, what was it? Um, no, it's half the battle. How can I forget that? I yeah. might as well just hand him my 80s card right now. <laughs> I had a brain fart there. It's been a long day. Um, but, you know, th that's a meme now, so it's completely different. What it, what it used to be and what it is now is uh, the the, uh, the associations aren't the same. Did you uh, – see, we didn't get any anime in Indiana at all. I mean, I, I saw – not even Voltron, which is probably the most popular at the time. I mean, I even had the comics. I had the, the, the toy, but I never saw the cartoon. They never aired it. The only thing that we ever had was two blocks um, I mean, mm -hmm. besides Saturday morning. Uh, we had uh, Froggy's Place, which was from 6.30 to 9, which usually just aired everything from Filmation and uh, those old Looney Tunes packages. And we had uh, Happy's Place in the afternoon, and that would air all the new hot stuff. So it was showing G.I. Joe, Thundercats, Transformers, and stuff like that. But it was all, like, current. We rarely ever got anything that was a repackage or an import. Yeah. Oh, by the way, this is going to be the most obscure on the list. It's not. I don't have. I didn't curate a list of really weird stuff. I am. Uh, it, the rest of the list is so basic, it's almost embarrassing. But that I had to throw in at least one deep cut. And Force Five is it. Um, I would love to see it done again. Uh, Grandizer, in particular, I think is a great story because it's about uh, an alien, a humanoid alien from outer space that steals a UFO and parks it in Texas. And then <laughs> he works as a ranch hand in Texas. And then when like flying saucer aliens come to threaten earth, he gets in his flying saucer and turns it into a robot and, and kills them and goes back to Texas and works as the ranch hand again. And it's, there's, there's a, I think there's some very funny, uh, subtle digs at American culture in it. Uh, it was also a huge hit in, uh, Israel, I guess, and and other and the Middle East. Uh, Grandizer is Grandizer there with an E instead of an A. Uh, but yeah, I've, I've, it's very hard to find those. I I, I know that there's deep uh, TV people and uh, you know tape traders and stuff happen, but I don't I don't know what's up with the rights. They're not on Blu-ray or anything like that. So you have to just kind of find it, bits and pieces of them. Uh, there's some episodes on YouTube. I think the pilot episode of Grandizer in particular, is on YouTube in its entirety uh, if it hasn't been pulled already. And is this one of those shows that aired on the old UHF stations? Yep. That was on uh, uh, Channel 25, which is now a Fox station in uh, Boston. Uh, 25, though, aired a lot of great cartoons, and, uh, and that was one of their weirdest entries. Did you have a local kids show? I mean, not talking like a bozo, because I think everybody had a bozo. But did you have one that was like basically just you know Portland or uh, Boston only? There were a few. Um, there was Zoom, which was uh, from WGBH, which actually WGBH is is uh, PBS, and a lot of uh, PBS programming that goes all over the world is recorded at WGBH Studios in Boston. It's, it remains, I think, uh, the jewel of their empire. Um, so they, they aired a program called Zoom, which I never, I really didn't watch. 
I've, I've heard of it, but I've never action. seen it. Yeah. Yeah. Something about live action children put me off even as a child. <laughs> so I wouldn't watch like that, those type of kids shows. Uh, there was also Jabberwocky, which Jabberwocky was on, uh, channel five, I think. And, uh, it, 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 there was a famous actress on that show and I forget who, but she went on to do movies. I, I don't, I, I don't know if it was Joe Beth Williams, but let's just say it was Joe Beth Williams. Okay, uh, <laughs> just was thinking of it. But but it was it, there. Were, there was one actor on that show that ended up uh, with some acclaim. But again, it was it, it was a lot of weird shows. I was just really waiting for cartoons. Yeah, live um, action ones are strange. There was one I remember when I was really really young. Uh, something like the Great Space Coaster, and I always caught the end of it because it was always always before the Muppets. But I don't remember anything else about it. Was that the one with Gary Gnu? I don't. I don't remember. Uh, I'll look it up right now while we're talking. <laughs> but go ahead. There was, there was this guy, and by the way, I because I'm uh, I don't want to ruin our call. I'm not using uh, Google, which I probably should. But it, I think Great Space Coaster. There was a weird, like pervy puppet uh, that was green, and he had slicked back like Gary Cole type hair, uh, and, they, and his name was Gary Gnu, but he was totally not a Gnu. He was like he was like an alien. Humanoid creature. It, that is. It's right here. Gary Gnu. And, uh, yeah, no news is good news with Gary Gnu. That's the only <laughs> thing I remember from the Great Space Coast. Uh, so I did watch it, but it is it is back in the recesses of my brain. There were, there were a lot of really uh, uh, shitty TV shows that I just had on almost as background noise to my life. Uh, but cartoons, I was always dialed in. What do we have after Force 5? All right. Uh, let's do another compilation. Which is again a cheat, but I can do it. And this one aired on Saturday mornings. Hanna Barbera's World of Super Adventure. Um, here's the interesting part of it, though. So they advertised Hanna Barbera's World of Super Adventure when it started. Uh, apparently, they had uh, at least like six or seven shows that they would like rotate. But when I started watching it, I only remember three. <laughs> and I found out later. I think it's because so. One of the things that aired on uh, Hanna-Barbera's World of Super Adventure was the Fantastic Four. And again, as a huge Marvel fan, I wanted to watch Fantastic Four. So they showed up in the montage at the beginning of the show, but they never aired Fantastic Four episodes. And I think it's because that's when Marvel was fighting for their rights on certain uh, licenses that they had sold off. So I never got to see any of those episodes since I found some on YouTube and they're god awful like everything else was on that show. I think but the I only would... yeah, I think the only ones I caught were with Herbie, like this little stupid robot, probably because of Star Wars. Yeah, yeah. no, it was it was not good. Uh, but slightly better were uh, the Hanna Barbera originals, if you could call them that, uh, which was Space Ghost and Herculoids and Birdman. Uh, those were the only three that I remember and. It looked like from the montage at the beginning of the show, there were at least six or seven shows, and I only got those three. Every week, I'd be hoping there was another one. There was one with a genie that I never saw. Oh, I remember that uh, one. I don't even know what... <laughs> but it was it was so bizarre. I would, I would like, look forward to that montage at the beginning, and I'd be like, ah, it's Space Ghost again. Yeah, it was, there was always those repackages. When I was really young, they, they were airing them on ABC, and it was always like uh, the Scooby and Dynamite Hour, and it would be like one, you know, like one short thing of Scooby-Doo, and then it'd package it with other Hanna-Barbera characters. They were really smart with like recycling that stuff. 
But you could tell, like, they must have been on fumes financially because they hardly ever debuted anything new. And when they lost Ruby Spears, I mean, that was like half of yeah. their production team. You know what's weird for me? Uh, Scooby-Doo neither makes the honorable mention nor the perfect playlist. For whatever reason, Scooby-Doo never spoke to me, and I usually shut it off. And I think it's because I was such a weird little kid that Scooby-Doo, there was a hipness quotient to it that I couldn't accept. <laughs> and I didn't like it. It was like, these young punks seem to be having too much fun. I'm not going to watch this. Like an old man when you were a child. Ah, how dare they, those I, I, those crazy hippies? I, I totally was. I was such a, like, I liked the Flintstones, and I liked the Jetsons, but for some reason, Scooby-Doo come on like, nah, this is too much for me. <laughs> what comes after World of Super Adventure? Oh, uh, very, very similar programming. Uh, but let's go into a toy block, uh, He-Man and the Masters of the Universe from Filmation, which, by the way, is uh, now on Netflix, and I tried to get my son to watch, and my four-year-old son looked at me with such disdain. Like, <laughs> he didn't even have to he didn't even have to say anything. Within the first, like, five bars of the theme song, he just looked at me like, why? Why are you doing this? You, like, neither of us want to watch this. And uh, I shut it off. Uh, it's it definitely does not hold up. Uh, but there's something there's something very beautiful about the background art of that show. Oh yeah, the definitely. Paintings, and and also you know they did a good job rendering humans uh, for thirty seconds at a time, and then they would just keep using that animation over and over again. Um, I I did love uh, He-Man toys. Uh, I had mostly villains. Uh, I, as a kid, I had almost all villain toys. I had almost no heroes. So I, the only He-Man that I owned was the battle-scarred one, where yeah! you just punch him in the chest. That's, That's the only He-Man yeah. that I owned. That's the very first That's one that I got. I got Skeletor battle damage and He-Man battle damage. And I got to tell you, now that I'm reflecting on all the characters, because I had a big He-Man collection, but I think I primarily had villains too. The, um, the worst one was Stinkor. I just remember that being like, holy shit, put the – or was it Stinkor? No, no, no. It was Moss Man. Moss Man was the one that just reeked like hell. Well, and it was covered in like uh, – it was just covered in this weird sandpapery stuff that you know couldn't be good for the environment. Like yeah. there's, no, there's no – like if that thing's in a landfill right now, it's probably growing it's, – it's, it's becoming an actual Moss Man. Yeah. There was the, – the He-Man, the one thing that was funny to me was like – as I grew up, it clearly had an impact on me because I became a bodybuilder when I was older. I wanted to look like a superhero. But when I was watching the show, the audience avatar for me was Orko. And I literally would have dreams that I was Orko. And I think I loved Orko because he not only was a goof that couldn't do anything, which was very much me as a kid, but he also had no face. And I kind of hated my own face. I hated the way – like I just hated myself so much. I'm like, oh, God, if I could just be a, a little wizard with no magic skill who didn't have a face. Like I was – I really – hey, he had a girlfriend, so he was already doing better than me. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I, I loved Orko so much, and I think that's why I watched the show uh, other than the, the villains who I, – I, all those villains, even though they all had the same body, and if you position their foot – the wrong way they'd fall over. Uh, <laughs> it still, still had it. Still had an impact on me back in in the early '80s, but I, a very short one because I I think I watched a full season and a half of that show, a bit, maybe maybe two seasons, then completely checked out. 
the uh, the comic books captured my imagination, and it could just I read those first, and or yeah, then I saw the cartoon, and I was so disappointed. I never really watched the cartoon. I watched She-Ra with my sister a ton, but I just remember going, yeah. man, those comics, man, they really captured what I thought this was going to be, and the cartoon just doesn't it doesn't do it for me. Well, so the the comic books were uh, mythos building for He-Man, where it was like, okay, we threw all these toys out into the world. They're not going to mean anything unless we make them mean something. And I and so they really put a lot of effort into world building, uh, to its credit. But filmation didn't seem to want to use any. <laughs> They're like, I, I, but but they also gave me Orko, so I, I can't quite fault them. They did they did a good job. They gave me at least one character that I that I could cling to. The uh, the movie was one of those where I kept scratching my head, going, uh, Who are these villains? Okay, Beastman, Skeletor, Evelyn, but. <laughs> What's up with the other three? <laughs> I never watched the movie, and I think it's because I remembered the the massive disappointment of being a Spider-Man film, uh, of being a Spider-Man fan, and then watching the Nicholas Hammond '70s Spider-Man movies oh. where he's just fighting ninjas and and like thugs. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm just like, I'm not going to through. I'm not going through that again. Yeah, it was. Well, here's the weird thing is. Uh, my father was angry with me for an entire year because he took me to the GoBots movie, the Rock Lords film, and he would just oh give boy. me endless amounts of shit about it. And then when I said, let's go see He-Man and the Master of the Universe, he's like, hell no. And then I said, well, it's live action. It has Dolph Lundgren, you know, the guy from Rocky IV. He's like, oh, uh, sure. And he actually liked it. But uh, every once in a while, he reminded me, he's like, remember that damn Rock Lords movie? Goes, Shut up. Just leave me alone. I, it's terrible. <laughs> You took me to GoBots. You will never, ever hold a film, a film opinion over my head. <laughs> uh, well, and speaking of, let's go to the next one, which is, of course, again, totally basic, but Transformers. Huge impact on me, both the toy line and uh, it was the next generation of robot shows for me. Uh, and again, audience avatar for me uh, was the mon monotone sound wave. Uh, he was my favorite character. I loved him. I owned all of the cassettes plus plus Soundwave. Uh, I had way more Decepticons than uh, Autobots as far as what I owned. Um, but I loved the show, season one, season two, and I still really like the movie. I and, love uh, that movie. Uh, Shout, Shout just put out the Blu-ray uh, a few months ago, which is fantastic. And uh, I sat down and watched it with my four-year-old. And a few minutes in, I'm just like, oh my God, there's so much shooting. <laughs> <laughs> Like, I forgot that at least 90% of every Transformers episode was that, like, that's it. It's just, they're shooting at each other the whole episode. And the movie was almost double that. Well, yeah, plus uh, they die. The it's so many. It's like they yeah. wiped the house clean of all the characters you loved. You're like, what? No. Oh, okay. I, I, all right. That's horrifying. I didn't see it till much yeah. later. I don't know why. I read the comic book, the Marvel uh, miniseries. But I can never find that movie because people kept stealing it. And I didn't get to see it until I was graduating from high school. And I was like, I bet you I would have loved this more as a kid. But I, it's actually pretty solid. And in fact, to me, it's the only legit Transformers movie. This live action crap where I can't tell what's going on and they're four hours long. And, uh, you know, it's just like, Michael Bay, please walk away. Walk away. No, to <laughs> total agreement. That Transformers movie, I mean, it blew my mind because, again, we went back to uh, killing beloved characters, which they did to 
pushed the new toys and didn't realize what what they were doing. Um, but it also, there were certain characters I enjoyed watching die. Uh, obviously, everybody loves watching Starscream uh, disintegrate. But uh, I hated Ironhide. I thought he was such a prick. And uh, so just I, from his voice, like everything about Ironhide bothered me, including the fact that the toy looked nothing like the television Ironhide. So when Megatron blows his head off, it made me laugh at it. The first time I saw it, I was so happy to just watch him eat it. It was um, really rare for the toy to look like the cartoon or the comic book version. And it wasn't, I think, until like line three or four where they're like, hold on, people want to see the same representation. Because you look at like Ratchet and stuff like that, and you're yeah. like, or who was the medic? Um, yeah, Ratchet, Ratchet. Okay. But he he, uh, he didn't look anything like it. It looked ridiculous. Optimus Prime barely looked like he did in the cartoon. He just sit there going, uh, clearly there was a conversation not had here. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, the uh, I think Ironhide and Ratchet both had the same uh, body. Pretty so sure. So neither yeah. of them had a they, they neither of them had a head. They were literally a windshield with arms and legs. <laughs> so they looked so so chintzy and awful. Um, but yeah, I still really like that movie. Uh, the cleaned up print of it is just so cool to watch because I I didn't see it in the theater. I only saw it at home super grainy VHS. I had a tape that was probably as thin as like an onion skin that I watched so many times. I think it snapped eventually. Um, but it was cool to see, you know, not only the, the extras, but to be able to sit down and watch, watch it with my kid who kind of liked the music and the colors of it more than anything else. Like he really wasn't invested in because to him, he didn't know any of those, none of those characters mean anything to him. So to watch them die meant jack shit he's like oh optimus prime died okay what's next but meanwhile it traumatized an entire generation of kids that grew up with them yeah it's uh i was too poor for transformers i only had hoist and thundercracker which you give me to my grandmother that i think that's why i went and saw the gobots movie because i was really poor and gobots were like the low class version of transformers they were like a, a quarter of the price in fact most of mine i kid you not were from wendy's um uh kids meals um, my dad worked for a newspaper, and he always got free coupons for Wendy's to go on the sales trips. And I, I got to tell you, I think most of them were those little cheapo ones that were, came out of the kids' package. And that was my robot. I had mostly G.I. Joe's and uh, uh, He-Man. Yeah, they were – the GoBots were definitely the Hydrox of transforming robots. But the <laughs> – the, uh, we grew up in kind of a middle to lower middle class family, and – what happened was my we were like super Catholic, and my father was very connected with Christmas being the mother load. So I wouldn't get I wouldn't get a thing for you know eleven months out of the year. But when Christmas came, whatever went on the list showed up at the house, and I'd better not ask for anything on the next day because that was it for the year. But my father would go like way overboard. Uh, every Christmas, and uh, I appreciated it. I have to try to pull back with my son because every year what I've been doing is I've been like squirreling away. Like I keep my eyes open for bargains and stuff. So when stuff goes on sale, I buy it and I throw it in the closet, completely leaving my wife out of the equation. <laughs> so, so what happens is like October rolls around and my wife will give that look like, "Have you been buying again?" Like, yes. And then she'll go, "Okay, let's." 
let's put everything out and see what you've done. And she's just horrified. I've done it two years in a row, and I've been told I can't do it next year, or that I at least have to uh, to include her more. Uh, but I can't help myself. It's <laughs> where I came from. Uh, yeah, but you don't. You also you don't want to ruin your child. And the easiest way to ruin your child is to buy them thousands of meaningless gifts to the point where they're sick of opening shit on Christmas. So at least I haven't gone that far. Did you ever have the friend who had the big toy? You know, like that that um, uh, you know, like the Castle Gray School. You know, the Millennium Falcon. What was the uh, thing from GI Joe? The big. Uh, it's a. You know, you land the plane on. Why am I thinking of this? The air. The- the the, aircraft carrier. Yeah, aircraft yeah. carrier. You're just like, I, where did you? What? Who are you? <laughs> I, I think I think like less than fifty kids around the country own the aircraft carrier. I don't think that many kids had that one. But I did have a friend whose father, like, I was at his house at least once a week for, it, for most of our like grammar school years, and I never met his father. Uh, I think his father was like a contractor or construction or something. And that kid had everything. Like, he had such a ridiculous amount of toys. Uh, and, you know, I was not, I, I was I was somebody that I wasn't deprived. I certainly had plenty of toys. And like I said, every Christmas, my father threw the book at us. But this kid had just, I mean, stuff from Japan and like all this crazy, like he had all this die cast stuff that was like hundreds of dollars back then. Um, and, you know, in addition to all the regular toys that the rest of us, you know, peons had. Uh, but, yeah, there, there was there was definitely that one kid. And there was a, there was a few. Other, you definitely had your go-to houses where, like, okay, that kid has Intellivision, but the other kid has ColecoVision. So, then, like, you had to go to whoever's house had the thing you wanted to play with at the time. Uh, so there was there was a lot of that. My favorite thing to do as a kid was to go and, and it's weird that I even did this. KB Toys, when they would always have like that back section of the clearance, and it was always the toys from the previous year. And I'm aloof. I don't really, I've never really given a crap about what other people think of me, except these little random moments. But I just remember being like, hmm, Willow Toys. Willow was a bomb last year. Yeah, I'm going to grab them. They're all in clearance for a buck. You know, just loading up my toy collection. And it's just like, it was always something from the year before. Um, Crystar was one that I had a ton of, which uh, nobody really seems what? to remember. Crystar was. Do you remember this? Remco uh, <laughs> was all, the company. All I'm, thinking, what you, all I'm thinking of is that it's a really weird uh, Catholic toy. No, it was. Christ, yeah. Christ no, it was. Uh, it was basically a ripoff of He-Man. Where everybody was made out of crystals, and each one had its own special power, and it was a huge flop. Oh. And it was one of the last things from this company called Remco, which is also famous for creating Rom, the the Marvel uh, comic character. Um, I had a Rom. I had a. I had a stack of Rom books and a Rom. Isn't it ridiculous how that toy was such a huge flop, an ugly ass toy, but that comic went on for like a decade. Well, the the toy was cool, but. He didn't have any villains or anything. Like it was just like here's here's a robot. Okay. I know it's so just, so short sighted. Well, nobody really wants a wraith as as a bloody gross plasma creature as a toy. Yeah. Yeah, the comic book was pretty dark. Next one's gonna be the real Ghostbusters uh, because it's Ghostbusters and Ghostbusters was like again very formative in my uh, building of a sense of humor. Uh, Ghostbusters was a hugely important movie to me. 
and the fact that you know a couple of years later they put together a cartoon that was maybe not as amusing as the movie, but still funny. Uh, I always liked Loretto Music's voice as Venkman. Um, so real Ghostbusters, and also they managed to have some truly scary episodes. Oh yeah, uh, which one was of the, weird for one me. of the best written cartoons of the '80s, where. You know, usually what I hate about cartoons in the 80s is that, I know you love Oracle, I'm sorry, but I can't stand Oracle, I can't stand Cringer, I can't stand, what's the, what's the one from Thundercats? Um, Snarf, the cutesy character, and there's always like a robot yeah. in something, like Mask, but Slimer, somehow they managed to take the same kind of character, and he's one of the best parts. I mean, he was so popular that it became Slimer and the real Ghostbusters. Well, they made him a real character. I mean, in the movie, he's just these... He's Slimer. He's literally just a ball of slime. He's kind of a gag. And in the show, they get you know they they gave him a full personality and they gave him story arcs and uh, and they made it, a, it. It was also weird and cool for them to have like this mascot that was what they were also catching. Uh, so I I really liked the fact that they made Slimer a character uh, on the show and they they also he could do things that they couldn't. You know he could go through walls and he could. You know, he had a connection to the spirit world because he was one. So they, they did interesting things with him, which they didn't have to do. They totally could have made him a burping, farting, yeah. like, you know, broad, broad character, which, of course, he's, he, that's what he was. <laughs> uh, but I, lo I love the real Ghostbusters. Um, to this day, the Boogeyman episode scares the shit out of me. It is, it, that is a terrifying design. What do we have after Ghostbusters? Uh, going back to... <laughs> Being basic, uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, uh, because I was super connected to the comic book, because I was a New England kid, and it was New England guys who created it, and it was this punk rock, black and white, bloody, you know, turtle comic book. I had I had the first ep the the, uh, the first issue through the sixth or seventh issue, all first run. Uh, I destroyed them because they were all dog-eared and you know, red, and, you know, I, I didn't exactly take care of them, but I felt so connected to the fact that that was, like, that was a local thing for me, and to, to find out, like, oh, these guys from kind of where I'm from made this thing, and it's becoming this bigger and bigger deal, um, and so uh, the fact that it became a cartoon, even though the cartoon was super sanitized and uh, broad and it was still animated well, and uh, the stories were cool, and I, I liked what they did with what, you know, they obviously couldn't make it uh, this, like, bloody uh, satire on, uh, on comic books. But they, I still think that they managed to make something fun out of it. Uh, I also uh, had, happened to be in on a conversation with uh, uh, the legendary comedian Gallagher, who is a, a horrible person? Um, <laughs> yeah, and he he and he claims that every time the Ninja Turtles make a dollar, he makes a quarter, which I don't think is true. Um, no, I think Why? he he, he I, apparently he was an early investor in it, but he was talking all kinds of shit that he like has a giant stake in it. It's like if you have a giant stake in it, then why are you an anti-Semite still doing stand-up comedy? Well, if, yeah, it's like doing low rent comedy too. He uh, he actually got kicked out of our local um, fair. Like you know, the, every summer they have these big festivals, or whatever. And they, uh, it was in Hillsboro, and, and the, okay, so Hillsboro is heavy Latino, and mm -hmm. 
and I like it already. Yeah, and and uh, he decides to come up and he calls it Hills Burrito and he starts making fun of all the people and saying that they should go back to their country. I'm like, what are you doing, dumbass? He yeah, he is. He just got serious mental problems. I don't know what. I don't even know why we embraced Gallagher in the first place. I mean, you watch some he's, of his old specials a- and it's like, you. I don't. How did you become the top comedian in the early '80s? <laughs> He's a, he's a true piece of shit, and I was witness to a conversation that was just disgusting. Uh, he, uh, we, a bunch of like local Boston comics, when he was in town for the Boston Comedy Festival like 15 years ago, we kidnapped him. We basically took him away from his handlers and uh, took him out and uh, ended up at IHOP at 2 in the morning with him. But he's a, a thoroughly unpleasant man who loves retelling his e-true Hollywood story over and over uh. and over again, like on a loop. And, uh, but one of my favorite things happened during the festival. He approached, uh, I'm not going to say who it is, but it's a legendary uh, stand-up comic from the Boston area. Uh, and this guy, he's, he's in his 60s now, and you know, he's, he's, uh, he's still funny. But like this guy created an act that was his all these years. And so Gallagher saw him perform and, and approached him after the show. He was like, hey, uh. I, I like this joke you did about the thing. Uh, I got a guy in Reno who could really use it. And this comic said, well, that's very flattering, but it's my joke and it's not for sale. And no. And Gallagher said, well, you know, he, 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 this guy, you know, it would be a real game changer for him. Could I just, could I just buy it, you know? And comic said no again. And then Gallagher said, oh, you know, I could just take it. Oh my God. And, so apparently, one of this uh, comedian's craziest friends overheard the conversation and grabbed Gallagher and threatened to throw him down the stairs. <laughs> so, um, and again, this is all uh, this is fun. Um, I uh, I certainly don't wish Gallagher any ill. I'm, I uh, I don't hope that he gets thrown down a flight of stairs, but. He certainly was asking for it if it ever happened. What a um, desperate attempt! You know he was just buying it for himself. How could be a how could be a game changer when it's one joke? It wasn't a set, right? It was yeah. just one joke. Yeah, no, he's he's a compulsive. There's, uh, something, there's something very 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 wrong with that guy. Yeah. Um, at any rate, uh, <laughs> hey. <next> one, <laughs> I, and I hope he I know hope he's not making a, a nickel off of the Ninja Turtles. Um, the next one on the list, and let's go into superhero block, and that's where we're gonna end. Is uh, uh, Fox's X Men from 1992? Um, it was a huge X Men fan growing up. Uh, it was one of the last comic books I read with any regularity. Uh, I like the Fox show. Again, it's very dated. It's very 90s. It doesn't quite hold up. But the animation was pretty cool, and just getting to see all the characters, uh, it was it was awesome. It was also 1992. I had just graduated from high school, and high school kind of like squeezed the cool out of me as far as like pop culture and all the stuff that I used to like, like, you know, I put my mask on and uh, became one of them for a little while. So the fact that X-Men was on TV and dragged me back into that world was very important to me. Uh, And I'm glad that it existed. And I'm glad that it was like, it was a subtle reminder that I would never stray too far away from the stuff that I loved as a kid. Yeah, I remember my high school preppy era where, and then I was just like, by senior year, I was like, what am I doing? And none of these people are going to matter to me, or at least most of them are going to matter to me in a year. So just enjoy what I enjoy. Yeah, I didn't learn that until I became a stand-up comedian many years later. 
because I really try. I wore that mask hard, man. I wore that. I, I put that mask on, and I like. I it was Doctor Doom level. Like I just bolted it to my fucking head, and uh, I, I really. Uh, when I became a stand-up comic, all of a sudden I was surrounded by people who embraced their oddity, and I didn't do it right away. But I found that the longer I was in the game, the more I allowed myself to do it. Has been a slow process, but now it's just like, yeah, you know what? I am who I am, and I ain't for everybody, and that's fine. And that has been that has served me so much better than like, well, what if I do this? And how about this? And what if I dress this way? And how about I do this joke? And oh, I can't do that joke; it's too mean. And well, then nobody's gonna get that. Now nah, I don't ask those questions anymore. Now I just do. And what works works, and what doesn't doesn't. And uh, somehow, some way, I find a way to to do me right, which uh, hadn't been done before. <laughs> only took only took twenty years of stand up. It's so a lo- it's a long road, honestly. Sometimes, I mean, just now I'm starting to get that like just completely like a be who I want to be. I mean, I'm not not that I'm a, like a sociopath or anything. I was hiding like the secret persona, but it just becomes more relaxing. You don't have to. I was a compulsive liar as a child because I couldn't handle the reality that was around, you know, what I was sitting in. And then just yeah. realizing the more honest you are, the more real you are, people just trust, you know, this is more comfortable. You know, they want to be your friends. They're not that apprehensive. And um, yeah. just not everything you say is going to be likable, but how you present yourself is how you're likable. It's, it's yeah. complicated. I'm, very, I'm, I'm like very Gen X in my sensibilities. But I love millennials. I hope to never, ever become that. Like, you kids get off my lawn. Like, I, the fact that this is an era where you can live your truth and you can be who you are on the inside, it's, it's such, it, you know, these are all cliches if you see them as such. But I think it's a wonderful time to be alive if for only the reason that there, you don't have to be one thing anymore and you don't have to pretend that you like being one thing anymore there's just it's it's a really freeing time and i think that i think the gen xers actually appreciate it maybe the most because we were kind of like we were sold into uh, a way of thinking by the boomers and by our parents and now we're kind of if you look down far enough if you look at the generation below us and the generation below that you just say no. You know what? As they're getting stuff wrong because they're human beings, but overall they're getting it right, and we don't have to get it wrong anymore. We're, you know, we're still. I I still feel very vital and very young at 43, and I feel good enough to make uh, changes necessary. And I, I just I, I'm having fun, and I definitely wasn't even five, ten years ago. Yeah, it's the, the repression of anything new is what usually makes you old. You don't want to gain any new knowledge. You don't experience new things. Um, and that's a side note, but I'm also just thinking about the fact that, you know, 15 years ago, we wouldn't be having this conversation right now because people didn't have these conversations. It was kind of like one of those things between you and your closest friend. But uh, nerddom, I guess if you want to call it that, is universal. I, I It's amazing how yeah. even like the coolest people – or, or, you know, like the ones that, you know, really good looking, success, whatever. And then you find out I'm a huge Iron Man fan. And not because of the movie, yeah. because they grew up reading those comics. You know, everybody talks about the cartoons they love because I don't know a child who didn't watch cartoons. And they have some sort of nostalgia for them. The fact that we can even have podcasts. And there's many of them that have nostalgic 
conversations or current conversations about stuff that used to be like frowned on. Like, you're a grown-up. What are you doing? You, you should be watching cartoons. You can't discuss comic books. I read comic books all the time now, and I rarely ever get that look, like I'm simple or something. Yeah. Well, the other good thing is that I feel for a while nerd culture was becoming too inclusive and it was becoming too mean. And basically, like, if you didn't wear the costume, you weren't part of the tribe. And I, I really resented that because while I don't look like a huge nerd, you talk to me for 30 seconds and you'll figure it out. Right. Uh, I, that's, that's still a disguise, though. Wearing, okay, so if yeah. you're a nerd and you have to wear this shirt and this hat or whatever, that's still a pretend disguise. You wear whatever you want to wear, dress however you want to, you know, like, you know even like your haircut, your facial hair. There is no rules, and that's what the millennials yeah. have presented to us because, yes, people bitch about the identity uh, – I don't know what they call it uh, – identity politics going on right now. That's not the point. Yeah. It's about being free to be whoever you want to be at any time in any situation, and I, repressing that is dangerous. Well, and I love the fact that women have forced the issue and pushed themselves into the narrative and are part of the community whether – Dipshits like it or not, I love that, and I, I hate the fact that it's been so hard for them. I mean, it shouldn't be hard to be a fan. That shouldn't be a difficult thing. And for whatever reason, you know, you get you get guys who don't understand that women are indeed half the population of the world, and don't want them in their what they perceive as their little enclave. Yeah, sorry, son, you don't like it, leave. Go find something else. Go watch cage fighting for ten hours or whatever. But women, women are part of the narrative now. Sorry. Yeah, bullying, bullying and trolling on everything was getting out of control, and I think it kind of hit its nadir with Last Jedi, where everybody was just kind of tearing each other apart for a month there. And I think finally we've hit this wall where we gotta stop. It's just like everybody kind of talking to each other. It's like, look, um, what I've been saying on the internet because I can't look at you in the face and feel shame. It, it seems yeah. like it finally hit that peak and it's starting to go downhill. God, I hope so, because I was so sick of it. Well, I, I really loved The Last Jedi, and I, I've only seen it twice. But I, I'm dying to see it again because I feel like that's a movie that the more people watch it, the more they are going to enjoy it. But I feel like everybody everybody that hated it, number one, a good chunk of them are probably Russian bots. Um, <laughs> I, well, that wouldn't surprise me. They want to find anything they can to tear us apart. Yep. Well, and then the other half of it is that if you have a built-in narrative, it might not be your own. If you like, if you hate something, but your hate sounds an awful lot like the other people that hate it. Guess what? They got in your head, and they're the ones driving the narrative, and you're 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 being a puppet. That's a good, really, really good movie. And I, I mean, is it Empire Strikes Back? No. But it's close, man. I really, really loved Last Jedi. And it's funny. I liked it when I saw it the first time. I loved it when I saw it the second time. And I can't wait to see it again. Um, so are we at the end of our list? Was there anything else you wanted to throw out before we uh, Almost. close up shop? Let's finish up. Okay. It was the, uh, the, the, the block was for superheroes. The next one was Spider-Man 1994. Again, I was way beyond cartoon watching age. I was full on like partying and drinking and and, you know, working full time and trying to go to school. Like, I had so much going on in my life, but no matter how tired I was or hungover, I always managed to watch Fox's Spider Man. And I loved seeing some of those storylines, you know, whether they were 
changed or sanitized or whatever, seeing the Punisher uh, animated for the first time, that kind of stuff. So I watched Spider-Man uh, every week when I really wasn't watching any other cartoons, except for the next one on the list, uh, Batman the Animated Series. Again, super basic. I'm not blowing anybody away with that pick, but it's. Uh, I feel like it's the first cartoon that brought like adult melancholy into a children's show and i loved it i think all you know it still holds up great and uh and to tie it all together last one on the list is uh, justice league unlimited which began my son's obsession with superheroes because when he was old enough to kind of check out stuff on uh, on netflix just on a whim i was uh i showed him justice league and he, it blew his mind, so we watched every episode of Justice League and, and Unlimited. And Unlimited, I think, is by and, far, by and far away the best storytelling of the network TV shows for cartoons. I mean, it's, the level of storytelling on Justice League Unlimited is so next level that I don't know if the movies will ever be able to capture. It was just fantastic, and they did such a great job with so many moving pieces. Yeah, the, the great thing about Unlimited is, unlike the original Justice League series, is it focused a lot on the B and C level characters, which have always been my favorite. When people ask me, like, oh, what are your favorite superhero characters? I rarely ever say one of the heavy hitters. It's always something obscure like Question, Blue Beetle, Hawkeye, stuff like that. And Justice League, almost as if they knew that they those fans are not being catered to. So, yes, you usually have a headliner, like Aquaman or, or Green Arrow. And then they will add in a couple other characters. And you, you yeah, the whole thing layered. And, but not, you know, the storylines weren't um, the way the way Justice League was, where it was like a three-episode arc. And if you didn't like that arc, you were out of it for three episodes. Things would follow up and kind of bounce around. So you could watch each episode individually, or you could continue and re it would reward you for staying along. Yeah. I mean, and Justice League action that, that is uh, on Cartoon Network, it's fun and it's, uh, it's amusing and it's great to hear the voices again, but it's definitely not Unlimited. Unlimited just had such such emotional impact when it wanted to. And then it'll give forever give me the, the joy of having seen Batman sing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that so much. All right. So that is our top ten, our perfect Saturday morning. And um, is there any... We went way off track. Nah, it's okay. It's fun doing that. See, I, I don't like really going over an hour too much, but I also don't like the... Cons the strict rules and if you listen to back in tunes and i think the listeners have been kind of prepped for it we've been slowly moving from you know a very sterile fact-based discussion while we watch the cartoon to evolving to just a general discussion around a topic and eventually it's going to turn into our new show next year where we just do all sorts of comics cartoons nerd culture stuff like that it's just easier it's more natural than trying to force this planned thing and I hope that they go along with it. Well, when you have that level of enthusiasm for the source material, it's really, it's really difficult to kind of boil it down because you don't want to. Yeah. You naturally want to say more on the topic, and uh, it's great to talk to someone who has equal, if not greater, enthusiasm than I do for that. Well, thank you. And is there anything you want to plug before we go? Uh, sure thing. So I do stand-up comedy in the Los Angeles area. Uh, I am a stay-at-home dad, so I don't travel, and uh, I don't miss not traveling. I love doing stand-up in Los Angeles. The audiences are great. It's a, I feel like it's a tough but fair town to do stand-up comedy. 
Uh, and also, you know, like I, like I mentioned earlier, I'm chasing TV, so this is where I need to be. Um, my home club is Flappers Comedy Club in Burbank, which is a fantastic club. Uh, and one of the best things about it is not only do they give everybody a chance, and they literally give everyone a chance, which is fantastic because there's all kinds of, you know, gatekeepers and hurdles in the way uh, for a lot of stand-ups to get into the big clubs. Uh, but the other thing about Flappers that's great is that they have fantastic headliners coming in. And also, uh, they have parking, which in Los Angeles is a premium. <laughs> so there is actually – it's a comedy club that you can park at in, in uh, Los Angeles is, uh, is difficult to find. And that is, that is the one I'm headlining for the first time at the club uh, on Thursday, June 28th at 7.30. Uh, I'm going to be doing a Greatest Hits of uh, my 19 years in stand-up, this is my 19th anniversary, which is just crazy to me. Uh, but I am going to do some great stuff. I do not have uh, the names that will be on the uh, the rest of the show finalized, but I will have some fun surprises. Uh, I'm going to put together as good a show as we can put together uh, on the Thursday, June the 28th. It's going to be the best show in the shadow of a giant IKEA that you have ever, ever heard <laughs> or seen before. Uh, so please come. And also, uh, please find me on social media. Uh, I'm super easy to find. I'm, I'm one of the only Tommy Ricos out there. Uh, don't Google because uh, there's a sex offender. Uh, it's not me. Uh, <laughs> I, I promise it's not me. Uh, the, uh, uh, my website is uh, TommyRico.com. Uh, you can find me on Twitter, and on Instagram as Boston Baby Daddy, maybe changing. I may be I may be going through a brand identity uh, change soon, but that's what it is right now. And uh, if you'd like to go to the show at Flappers on Thursday the twenty eighth, just get in touch with me. I'll throw you some comps uh, because I think you're great, and I want you to be there. All right, everybody, check us out on Facebook under Back in Tunes. You'll find all our episodes there, any upcoming news. And, and I'm going to start doing live episodes where anybody can discuss animation with me for like a half hour, hour here and there. And uh, everybody, have a good night. Thanks, Michael. Take yep. care. All right, you have a good night. All right, that was awesome. to Comics on Infinite Earths. I'm Michael, your host, and my guest this week, returning to the show, uh, much to great acclaim from everybody. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Avery, how's it going? It's going good, man. It's been a little bit, but uh, it's good to be back once again. You know, it's my fault. I got overwhelmed with stuff, and I was looking as I was Skyping you. It says I haven't called you since August 7th, and I was like, oh my god, that's way too late. <laughs> We're supposed to be doing this like once a month, and seriously, it's my fault. Uh, I mean, it, technically, there's still once a month. Yeah. Anyway, when it finally breaks down, I get done editing them and then post them. So I guess, yeah, it's about every month. Um, so we're coming to the end of season one. We only have a few episodes left. So we figured we'd hit one big. Uh, at least it was important to me. Uh, Identity Crisis, the huge return to uh, me coming to DC Comics again after years of being away. 
So with uh, with me on the other hand, uh, growing up Marvel, Marvel everything. I didn't get into DC until I was much older. And when I actually got around to doing Identity Crisis, it was like one of the first times uh, I read one of the DC comics, and I was just like, "Whoa, DC can be as dark and as brutal as as they come." Like this was definitely the one that got me. <laughs> now, some people will say this was a wrong turn for DC that taking it too dark. I mean, uh, it doesn't mean the whole universe has to be this way. And sometimes DC Comics sees something that sells very, very well. And they decide, well, everything's got to be more complex and, and, and darker. And uh, not necessarily. Sometimes you need light with the dark in order for it to work, which they discovered a few years later with uh, Brightest Day, Darkest Night. Um, but this is kind of necessary for DC Comics to grow up. This, this actually, in turn, was... Um, one of the things that I do want to know about the uh, about uh, identity crisis is this: the lack of uh, actual. There were. I'm not saying there weren't any fights, but there wasn't a lot. No, you know? it was more of dealing with the dialogue and characters and more development than more of just. It comes to this head of uh, two people batting, you know, fighting it out, good versus evil. No, it was. It was very. <clears throat> What I would say is that uh, this was a time where our superheroes became very human, uh, plagued with human emotions that, you know, that, I mean, you can be Superman, you can run around the world uh, with the blink of an eye, but you are not immune to emotions that all humans do have. Yeah, it's uh, what, the problem with this is that it should have been a sign not to go darker, to be more about the characters, because almost immediately after this was done is when they went with the huge events again, you know, 3,000 comics all connected to one super event where, oh, it changes the universe, but not really, and it reboots everything, but not really, and then it's going to have 10,000 characters in it, and uh, I wish that they had stayed with what Brad Metzler had tried to do was take out the big action, take out the world-changing kind of stuff, uh, make it about the person underneath the mask and how this career choice affects them and their loved ones. The, you know, um, it kind of reminds me of uh, one of my one of my favorite ones from DC, uh, from Marvel is uh, Spider Man because Spider Man Spider Man definitely shows more than any other comic both sides of the spectrum. Yeah, like done an excellent you, job with that. you you see you see him being a superhero. You get to sit there. You get to explore that. You get to see how it affects his love life, his life at home, or even how people treat him as Spider-Man, you know, because some people don't like him. And it's just because, you know, he's a superhero, whatever. But you see both sides of the coin with Peter Parker, with Spider-Man, and with DC, when this, when Identity Crisis rolls out, you you pretty much, it's like a switch is thrown, and you get to see everybody at what I want to say, not their weakest, but their most vulnerable states. Yeah. <clears throat> What's funny is Brad Meltzer comes out of nowhere, at least in the comics world. I mean, he had, he had written probably a series of books by then that were well-received, but I think it's because of his connection. I want to say it's Judd Winnick that they went to college together, and he wrote this story as a love letter to DC Comics, the darkest love letter ever. Um, but he took that novelization style and put it into comic books, so it's a slow burn through the whole thing. And once he's, you know, all the stuff's revealed, it's just it's so rewarding um, the way that some writers you know they build these big complex stories and they fall flat on their face yeah so <clears throat> with uh with uh brad Meltzer, uh here's here's what we're looking at so this would be his second uh his second um his second time that he would be writing for them because he actually did a um he actually did a story uh six issue story arc 
with Green Arrow, and that was back in uh, 2002. Um, and then after that, he came back and said, "Hey, I want to do, you know, pretty much another one." And this this identity crisis, written by him, has had things like one of the most controversial, one of the best, one of the worst. Uh, best fight, worst fight. It's 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 one way or the other. It's not a lukewarm reception. Yeah. Uh, and that's the. I think that's one of the best things I do like about it is that it's not just one way or the like. It's either you're going to love it or you are going to hate it, and you're going to think this is the worst thing, or you're going to think this is the best thing. And that makes me say that that I think that's what they were going for there. Hey, I <laughs> totally forgot about his run in Green Arrow. Thank you for correcting me on that. No. For- and, no problem, uh, no problem. I wonder if the people who were revolted by it, who despised the movie, were long-time fans. We're talking people who have been reading probably since the 60s and 70s and was more innocent, and they read this, and they thought, well, that's the, you're breaking our back. We can't do this anymore. This is horrible. <laughs> this is so dark. Whereas you and I, I knew DC Comics, I've read a lot of Batman and Robin, um, and a little bit of JSA, and that was about it. Uh, so the universe was kind of fresh to me. So you and I coming into it with not a whole lot of history. Uh, I think that's why I wasn't bothered. By it. Were you at bo- bothered at all by how dark it went? No, not not at all. Because uh, at the point that I've read it, I've seen. Um, at, at the point where I finally get a chance to pick it up, uh, I've seen um, Marvel go through all their drastic changes. I've seen Marvel go through. Uh, I've started reading com- uh, comics from their early works till about the early 2000s and civil war had i just wrapped up with civil war so it wasn't anything new i just did not know that dc could pull that out yeah so it was new as in the regards of oh dc doesn't just focus on these big flashy you know uh events sometimes they could be very humbling you know and sometimes they could be very dark sometimes they could be very human and that is actually like that right there is a really good indicator of what you can have in your uh comic book series and one thing that you did point out as well too is um focus it it needs to have a balance of dark of light of character development of epic fights um and i think right now right now writers are starting to get that like we love when you humanize us but we also love it when you show us something amazing okay yeah, it's, we uh, we like. <laughs> yeah, it's Go where ahead. it's where um if it's nonstop fighting, and there's no real um challenge, you know, there's there's no real possibility of loss. If you don't spend time with the people behind the mask, or you know, you know what I mean. Like, uh, you can be in the costume if you're diving into the person is when a major fight happens. The risk of one of them getting hurt or dying is so much more. Instead of just constantly, I'm gonna bash your head in. I don't like you. <laughs> we it it does help it does help it's um when you um like shoot if if superman just uh, magically appear one day and fought all the bad guys we'll think that'll be just great but when you say that hey superman has a mom superman loves lois superman is uh you know he has a job that he kind of cares about uh when you give him these human elements you when these fights do happen we're not just seeing it from an action standpoint. We're hoping we're seeing it from all men. I hope he, you know, I hope he gets through this so he can go back to work or you know get see Lois one more time. You know, like that's something that I think that any comic book, I don't care what it is, you know, any comic book can um, can pull from that. Um, uh, I will pull up Guardians of the Galaxy. Guardians of the Galaxy is um, not a it's it's a it's a very fun comic. 
It's it's very it's very it's fun. There's a talking raccoon in it. There's a tree. Like these are things that you aren't used to seeing. Yeah, well, but it's weird that Venom the... is part of the team or was part of the team. I don't know if he still is. <laughs> even even with Guardians of the Galaxy, like it's a real fun comic. It's a lot of jokes. It's it's uh it does it never takes itself too seriously unless it needs to uh, build a backstory, unless it needs to give a character motive. Um, Guardians of the Galaxy is probably like one of my favorite ones, now that I'm older, because it's a it's a good balance as well, too. So everybody needs to go in that direction. Yeah, you have to have weight, <laughs> or it's just pure fluff, and none of it matters. That's the way comics used to be, like you read one issue and done, one issue done. Now, I said DC Comics went dark here. Now, they did have the Vertigo, and they had kind of like the Elseworlds titles that would go really, really dark. Um, I'm not sure if that really counts as part of the DC Universe. I know Swamp Thing started off and over to Vertigo <laughs> and then back again. So, uh, I might be wrong. There may have been some darker stories, but this is the one that just really, like, hammers it home. This is this is pretty much the one of just, uh, what what is the, uh, what's this saying here? Um, the coming of age. Yes. Of, of, yeah, the coming of age for DC here. So, should we dive um, into the story? Let's dive in here, man. Let's dive in. <laughs> so we start off with uh, Ralph Dibby, the Ellen Gated Man, and um, I cannot remember who he's with. I read this a couple months ago, so I've got amnesia a little bit already. I want to say it's Firehawk was with him. It, let's see, because now I'm, I'm looking at one notes for one thing, and then I forget. <laughs> I'm like, oh, man, I had it. I had it, because I was like, oh, yeah, I remember he was here. He was on the rooftop. Really good part right there. Let's see. He's on there with... Um, Let's see. He's on there with Bolt. Bolt. Oh, I was way let's off on that see. one. But there. No, no, no. Gun. He's uh, let's. <laughs> he's hunting Bolt right now, and right now he's on stakeout with. Let's see. Who is she? I forgot her name. <laughs> it's okay. I, part of the Firestorm world. Um, but they're basically on like a reconnaissance, doing some like surveillance, trying to figure out what is in this box. Why are there people trying to come after it? You know, and uh, we discover that it's Lex Luthor's costume from, like, the superpowers t- toy line and, you know, the old <laughs> cartoons. That is, like, I, that's almost on the uh, level of, uh, hey, guys, remember that one time when we did that thing? It was kind of cool. Well, we're just, just subtle hint right there, you know, yeah, Easter egg. back a deep <laughs> right there. So we got that going on, and then he's immediately called home because there's an emergency at his house, and we find out that Sue, by the way, if you haven't read this shit, you should probably stop here and then continue <laughs> Hey, welcome back to the show. No. <laughs> uh, Spoilers. Yeah, uh, Sue Dibby is, uh, oh my God, it's so brutal. When, the way Rags Morales draws this tears you apart. Uh, seeing uh, Ralph just completely like his face is distorted in such a horrible fashion, holding Sue, who has been burned alive. Uh, at least that's what we know so far. Yeah, and then, and then uh, 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 from from there, uh, the all of our heroes are going to get together, try to figure out, what's going on what happened who could have done this and if it wasn't already dark before where like within the first couple pages you have a superhero who's i <clears throat> i think one of the best parts is that uh between the elongated man and sue they were pretty much like this tag team duo of going around solving cases and that was their that was part of their relationship you know uh they had fun with that they loved doing that yeah, she's and one then, of the few civilians in that universe that just stood, you know, toe to toe with the rest of the super. And then to figure out that, you know, now that she's gone, uh, DC heroes all come together, and they say, "Who could have possibly done this?" And they come to the conclusion that uh, we're going to talk about another person that came through. So 
Infinity uh, Identity Crisis is probably like one of the best things for sub like so if you're not A class like class B class C type heroes you know like we're talking about people like Captain Boomerang, Mister Miracle, Firestorm, Shade, Shining Knight, all these people come out and even villains like uh, Doctor Light. Uh, anyway, they go and try to see if it was Doctor Light that had possibly done this. Uh, simply because Dr. Light and Sue had an earlier run-in where he actually raped her. And when I'm reading this, it's when horrible. I get to, I'm, I'm like... saying the word, just brutal. Yeah, yeah, like, this is pretty dark, DC. I'm not even that many pages in. Come on. Well, we should also um, say that most of the DC universe is going off on these missions to find any sort of character or any sort of villain that uses firepower, you know, intense light power. And it's like a small group that stays behind, and they start discussing themselves. Um, and I, I, I feel like Batman knows something is amiss. Like the whole time, like what's going on here? But I, I got to get going on my mission. But he knows that he needs to come back and figure out what's going on. Because something is definitely up. Um, what we go on from there is that uh, we're going to get all of our heroes together, and they're going to go and track down um, Doctor Light. And Dr. Light was pretty much expecting this. And then we come out with everybody's favorite mercenary. Well, second favorite mercenary, Deathstroke. And a battle ensues there. Wait, who's the and first favorite? The first, the first favorite is going to be Deadpool. <laughs> oh, oh, right. Sorry, I think maybe the DC Universe is like, Lobo, Deadshot. Who are we talking there about? There we go. <laughs> we're, we're talking about Deadpool. I mean, and Deadpool and Deathstroke are pretty much... You know, the characters, they're based on each other, one way or the other. Yeah. Um, what we're looking at here is uh, Dr. Light. We're going to jump back here. Earlier, um, Dr. Light, after his run-in with Sue, the Justice League grudgingly came to the decision of, we have to wipe his memory. And that was arrived after much debate, much controversy, you know, and we're going to go deeper into the cause and effects of that. But when they find Dr. Light and they're um, in their battle, Dr. Light regains his memory and he uses his powers to try to escape. <laughs> and from there, we're looking at, um, we're, we're going to go back over to, let's see where we at from there. Well, it's not just about Dr. Light, because Dr. Light threatens and says, I know all your identities and stuff like that. And it's like, well, who else knows our identities? So it's not just Dr. Light that they're going to have to brainwipe. They're going to have to brainwipe no. all these people who over the years have discovered their identity to keep their family safe. And it's a hard decision to make. But I got to tell you what, if I was a, if I was in their shoes, these are villains. That's... They're murderers. <laughs> who cares? Wipe their brains. But it's That's been... definitely like, I, I would. <laughs> if you're enjoying being Batman being batman yeah the problem is is batman discovers what's going on and then they have to do the same thing to him that's when it gets oh boy what decision do you make here is that the right thing or no (laughs) so batman during the entire mind wipe batman was one of the few people that said no we shouldn't do this let's just you know it is what it is and we'll just take it from there uh batman in turn gets his mind wiped um and one person knows about that and that's the flash and <laughs> one of the things, uh, when you guys were talking about Infinite Crisis, did you talk about the OMAC project at all? Yes, we did. Okay, so with the OMAC project, Batman finds out very quickly that his mind was wiped. And he is not happy about that at all. But that's something 
we'll go further into that another time. Um, but at the end of Identity Crisis, he has no idea what happened, so he's fine there. Um, after that fact there, we're looking at... Um, let's... Deathstroke kicking everybody's Death butt. <laughs> <laughs> Deathstroke is pretty much there, kicking everybody's butt a little bit. Um, we're going to go back to where Adam finds his um, his wife, his ex-wife, and she's hanging. Oh, she's right. blindfolded and jacked. Yeah, and he revived her. And she was not able... She didn't say, I don't know who did it. I have no idea what happened. Uh, and then from there, pretty much... Um, any uh, our main superheroes get uh death threats on those people like uh Robin gets his dad gets a uh he gets a letter that says defend yourself and there's a gun with that uh Lois Lane gets a letter and then um we're looking at those two people there and that uh from there uh we introduce another one of those lesser known people Captain Boomerang who is hired by a villain named Calculator and Calculator says, all right, look, I need you to go out and I need you to kill Robin's dad, uh, Jake, uh, Jack Drake. And um, in the events of this going on, um, they figure out, hey, somebody's about to go. And uh, Robin figures out, hey, somebody's about to go kill my dad. So everybody's rushing off to go and save his dad. And during the conflict between Captain Boomerang, Jack Drake, they both end up killing each other, which... Um, right there in itself. Uh, I was thinking about it. I was looking and I'm like, that's a very um, that's a very weird come, that's a very weird way to come to, like a weird point to come to where uh, now Robin doesn't have his dad. Uh, Captain Boomerang's son, the reason Captain Boomerang was doing it was for his son. He was like, look, if I do this job, I'm going to get some money. We'll both be well off because Captain Boomerang had found out that, hey, he has a son. And uh, he was trying to make everything right with him. Yeah, it's something they reveal so. in this series. It, so it makes it more balanced with the father-son uh, uh, storyline. But also, here's a weird thing that I didn't notice ever before this series, and it may have been there, just nowhere on my radar, was the fact that the calculator was basically becoming the secret society of supervillains uh, version <laughs> of, uh, you know, the Birds of Prey. Why I just immediately lost the name. Barbara Gordon's character. Uh... Oracle? Oracle, thank you. It was like the evil version of Oracle. He became kind of obsessed with being the alternate version of her, and I think he was actually trying to break her code and try to find out where she was. I think that actually ended up happening later in the uh, Birds of Prey run. But that was these little things here about these little nothing characters. The calculator was a joke. I mean, Captain Boomerang was kind of a cult following because Suicide Squad and The Flash. Calculator was nothing, just like this one hacky villain. And all of a sudden, he becomes severely important over the next couple of years. Uh, they did that with a couple of uh, characters. Like, uh, <clears throat> one character that I found out about, which uh, I think was just from watching a show, was uh, the Justice League show, was Mr. Miracle. He could escape from any trap. And that was his power, and he had a really nice backstory. But then they actually bring him back into this, and they give him a little bit of... They give him some backstory. They give him some, hey, look, this is... He's not just a joke character. So this, the identity crisis is a good way for people like Adam, people like um, Captain Boomerang, Zatanna, for these people to get some stories, for them to say, hey, I'm not just a background character. I'm actually a serious character as well, too. Yeah, it's so a, that is a way to make unknown characters to casual readers uh, more of a household name. Yeah. 
<laughs> which which was a is a very nice touch that they did there. Um, from there, we're um, during some questionings. Uh, Firestorm is actually killed, and in the event that took place with that was uh, <laughs> let's see, Shining Knight. Um, Shadow took his uh, took his sword, stabbed him with it, and Firestorm looks and he's just like. Guys, I'm gonna die. Can somebody please tell my family that I love them? You know, and in that moment, it's just like this guy is a nuclear reactor, pretty much, yeah. and he has all these powers. But in that split second where he realized he was gonna die, he became very human. It's weird. <laughs> uh, Firestorm and Captain Adam kind of have the same deal. Uh, they're like nuclear power trapped in a containment suit. You break the containment. Oh boy, uh, Firestorm dies here. But um, I don't know if you've ever read Kingdom Come. Um, there is a point where they rip Captain Adam apart, and he's killing a ton of people. Oh man, no! But that is definitely something I have to check out there. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's kind of like uh, the Dark Knight Returns. It's a post-apocalyptic, like future story when all the Justice League gets old and they're replaced by these new heroes that are super violent. They're out of control. They have no uh, real um, understanding of people safe and following the law. They have their own idea of law, and um, those old superheroes have to come back and stop them. And I know that Captain Adam, he was one of the only ones still working, you know, for the government because an agent for the government. And they're fighting whatever, and someone just grabs his shoulders and pulls him apart, ripping apart his containment suit, and it's just like a nuclear bomb going off. <laughs> that is a pretty crappy way to go out there. <laughs> it is. Hey, what the <laughs> heck? <laughs> but that's kind of how Firestorm minute. goes out. Firestorm is just trying to help, and he doesn't realize that it's just all about timing, and his containment suit gets broken. And you're right. He was a character that was popular for the first half of the 80s and then kind of mm -hmm. faded away. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, after like 15 years, uh, Brad Meltzer writes him in this little brief moment and makes him so significant to that universe in that just tiny little... Just that, just that little moment there. And in that moment, I was just looked at him reading. I'm like, that is... It's, it just keeps hitting you. Like, from every couple of pages that you read, there is something that's going to happen that's just going to tug you a little bit that just hits you. A little bit there to just say hey these people are human very much so um you can fly around you can do whatever you might be a nuclear explosion contained in a suit but you were still very human <laughs> yeah and a lot of it comes down to rags morales he really knows how to put the emotion uh the perfect look on their face when this happens really get you get hammered hard with eating about it yeah so going back in um we still have some people going around interrogating figuring out what the heck happened uh, this is when um, the Flash pretty much figures out, hey, uh, I know what you guys did, okay? You don't just mind wipe Batman. <laughs> and he's kind of, he's playing with the idea of actually might, kid, I, should I tell Batman? Should I not tell Batman? Um, what should we do? Um, after that, what we're looking is um, Batman goes out and he figures out where Calculator is. Um, we do, they figure out, a, they do an autopsy on Sue, and then they figure out from there that somebody was inside of her, inside of her head, because they see little footprints in her brain. Which is crazy. And, <laughs> I saw that, I was like, which hey, is, on, which, <laughs> I'm just looking at this, I'm like, okay, what? <laughs> like, who, what, and why? <laughs> um, at that point, I actually had to stop, I'm like, okay, who is that small? Um, who would do it, and everybody realizes it, and it's like, 
somebody has to go get Adam. And at this time, uh, after the autopsy, all the superheroes are away spending time with their loved ones. Uh, and this is actually after the funeral of Sue as well, too. Uh, everybody's out spending time with their loved ones. Um, and Adam is back in with his ex-wife. And um, <laughs> they're she talking. Does, yeah, she does that thing that they usually, like, every time that you get tripped up in, like, a movie villain kind of thing or, like, yeah. a mystery show, it's like, well, wait, how did you know? <laughs> so they're talking, you know, they're talking, uh, you know, they're just being very human here. Um, and she says, um, did you guys ever figure out who sent that letter to Jake, uh, to Jack Drake? And Adam's sitting there like, how did you know about that? <laughs> and we're going back to, we're going back to Rags Morales. And those couple of, uh, those couple of scenes right there were drawn perfectly. Like the shock on his face. Uh, to one of those, at one of those frames, is actually just like half of his face silhouetted, and you're just sitting here like you're in as much shock as he is, <laughs> um, and you realize that Adam's ex-wife, you know, uh, even though they were going through that, um, even after their divorce, the reason why she did it, she sent out this letter to um, Jack Drake. She killed Sue, and the reason she did it was not to get back at anybody. But she wanted to get back with Adam. Yeah, and the funny thing is, it was never intentional with Sue. It was complete, like something just got out of control, and then she had to cover herself up, and then she's escalating it. It's like no logic was ever going to stop her. And the worst part is, like I said, the reasons behind it were very human. It wasn't anything like, oh, well, I was, I was, uh, I wanted to be like you, I was trying to be a superhero. No, she just wanted to get right. She wanted to make things right with her ex. She wanted to be together again. And she couldn't have that. And almost in that moment, if she probably would have never asked that question, they would have probably been back together. Yeah. It's maybe just one little slip up. But why didn't she just try, I don't know, being a better person? Uh, <laughs> just, hey, I apologize for everything that went down. Um, would you like to have dinner sometime? And that's where you take it. You don't cause this. But she was clearly insane. There's no logical reason for what she, you know, like a normal person would choose this direction. You have to be like kind of cracked a little bit and um, a little bit, <laughs> a little bit. Yeah, you have to kind of go in this other direction where everybody else goes this way, you go the other way, and that's when you start talking to yourself, come up with these insane ideas. That's where she is. Uh, now, Dwight, if I remember correctly, does she end up in the insane asylum at the end of the the? I almost said at the end, uh, the end of the storyline. <laughs> She ends up in Arkham Asylum, uh, and I'm sitting here and I'm reading. I'm just like, well, if she's in Arkham Asylum, then one day she'll probably break out, right? Yeah. Has she? I don't know. I haven't caught up with the story after. Nah, that. she wouldn't break out. Nah. She's just she's just your regular human. Um, but like you said, something was not right upstairs, and that's what caused her to, you know, go over the edge like that. Um, in the final scenes of this comic, the Flash and Batman are sitting down and Batman's like, you got something on your mama? You want to, you want to talk to me about anything? <laughs> like, uh, what's up? And the flash is sitting there like, nah, we're good. Nothing's up. They didn't wipe your mind or anything. If that's what you're thinking. <laughs> Please don't make a sound alike. <laughs> maybe I'm just making this up in my own head, but I feel like there was something said about the fact that, uh, um, the Adam's wife, when she used the particles that shrunk her down or whatever, 
that mm-hmm. uh, that it did something to her mind. Like she wasn't prepared for it. She wasn't wearing the right equipment. Like it did some damage. Am I making that up? <laughs> I don't. I don't know. Do I, did you read in between some lines? And I, I didn't know. read between. <laughs> but I also but said hey, particles, that... which is Ant Man. So I just got that confused too. That would like, that would be actually a really good plausible excuse right there as to why. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but so I want to say this real quick. The storyline does continue yep. in uh, an arc in Justice League of America uh, called Crisis Conscience, and maybe at some point we'll read that and discuss it. What what happens? The aftermath of Identity Crisis. Uh, then the uh, what are the other things? Is this the Identity Crisis is it will lead into Infinite Crisis as well too. And then it also spins off into our uh, OMAC project as well too with Batman figuring out like like we said he figures out that his mind gets wiped. Um he makes a satellite <laughs> called Brother Eye and it goes rogue. Yep, horribly and... wrong. Horribly wrong. <laughs> it goes it goes rogue it and I'm not going to spoil the rest of that. Just know that Batman's not happy. <laughs> so real quickly, I want to read a few of the reviews about this series. Oh, this Go for it, man. In a good light. Um, Chris Sims of Comics Alliance called the series the comic that ruined comics. <laughs> oh, <geez. laughs> uh, every hero uh, comes out of identity crisis <laughs> looking like a jerk, a victim, or a pariah. Come on. Really? Yeah. I-, I can't even... I can't even agree with that. I'm sorry. I just cannot give. I cannot give you that right there. Yeah. Um, Matt Wilson said that last part. He also said that it was a destructive comic that had its negative influence on subsequent comics, including Civil War, where they would put heroes into questionable lights. Uh, I don't know. Make some three dimensional. Make some human. I mean, because I don't want to like when you have a superhero, you're gonna one day you're gonna see something like you're gonna see Batman. No, you're gonna see superhero. Uh, uh Superman do what he does. But the entire time you're doing it, you're not asking yourself why or how. Like if those questions, yeah, yeah, if if those questions are not coming to your mind when your when your favorite superhero is out there, uh, you have a problem. (laughs) I I want to know the why and the how and the what of all my favorite superheroes. I know Tony Stark has a drinking problem and he's a womanizer because that's something that was explored. Um, this can't be just relegated to Marvel Universe. No one seems to have a problem with Daredevil's world goes dark, but DC Comics. <laughs> I like I said, I don't. It doesn't matter what your character is, um, and this extends outside of comics. Um, doesn't matter what your character is. Your character can be whoever. Like, if you're gonna write a story, no matter what the story is, if it's funny, if it's serious, if it's a biology, uh, a biography, if it's anything. They need motives. They need a backstory. They need something. Make them relate to me. Um, it's not that hard to do. And I think this right here was a really good way for us to relate to what goes on. Like a very human, very human emotions between all of our favorite superheroes growing up. It's a it's a controversial comic. I can go on with some of these negative comments. Holy crap. But <laughs> some of these are insane. So one person said uh, Rags Morales' art was incredibly spotty in places, inconsistent, and at times downright ugly. So I disagree with that wildly. <laughs> like, I, like I said, because uh, some of his, like, those, those moments that needed to be drawn perfectly to relay that emotion were relayed perfectly. Um I don't think that every every panel doesn't need to be a work of art, you know, but the ones that do need to stand out stood out. Yeah. And that's all that really matters there. 
All right, so that brings us to the end of this episode. I definitely recommend this book. I'm assuming that you recommend it as well. I do. I feel like if you if you've never read a DC comic, um, pick up the entire Crisis storyline. So that's going to be Infinite Crisis. That's going to be um, Identity Crisis. The OMAC Project as well, too, has a spinoff. Um, it's a great way to see what's in DC, what DC can deliver. Yeah, and besides that, um, uh, yeah, unless you're under, like, 12. Do not read this if you're, like, in middle <laughs> school or younger, because it's, woo! Um uh, so that's all I got to say about that. Um, so this kind of brings us to the end of the season. Um, I just get really busy the last quarter, and uh, the weather's terrible. Avery knows this. There's many episodes that we've had to delay because it's terrible weather. And um, we'll kind of do some episodes here and there if the weather's good, but it's not going to be as regular as we've been doing it through the summer and spring. So um, basically you'll get a few new episodes till probably April, and then that's when we'll launch the full-on new season. And I promise Avery that I'll be a little more consistent. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's not just him it's me my work schedule is the devil sometimes <laughs> <laughs> yeah we both work retail so it is what it is overtime overtime is nice there <laughs> all right and that is it thank you avery and do you want to send everybody out hey everybody good night stay safe uh and if you see something a really good comic somewhere buy it like don't let it just sit there like comics are going away yeah, buy them. It's, it's weird. I think my attitude has changed towards comics where I don't want the single issue every month. I want mm -hmm. to wait for the trade fair back. It's like getting 15 minutes of a TV show and then I got to go to commercial, but that commercial is a month long. So <laughs> I kind of want to get the whole story at once. But I do know that's kind of damaging to comic books. Get it. Buy them. Okay. Collect them. Trade them. You know, I, I, I've like ever since I started this, I've started buying comics. Like, the bookstore that I go to, I walk in, they know I'm there. <laughs> um, and I get mine pretty cheap, too. So go get them. Collect them. You might not even know. You might get one that you buy for 30 cents, and now it's worth 200 bucks. That's what I that do. Actually... I will buy. I will raid these old boxes. <laughs> I picked up a ton of Power Man and Iron Fist. Old 70s and 80s Power Man and Iron Fist. And I got to tell you, I'm loving every single second of it. Love it. Love it. <laughs> but I'm picking up some old DC, so I'm going to see what those are like. Um, but old, D uh, old Marvel, I've already had them. But like I said, if you see them, buy them, trade them, collect them, save them, show them to people. Let them know that people still get these. All right? Yep, and that <laughs> is nice. it for us here. Check us out on Facebook under Retro Rocket Entertainment, where you can find all the episodes and all the podcasts that we do. Now, if you enjoy listening to Avery entertain everybody... Next month, I'm having you back for our Back in Tunes episode where he builds the perfect Saturday morning, and that is where you design. If you were in charge of your own network, what would you program for your perfect Saturday morning? Any kind of animation, any decade, any genre, primetime, daytime, syndicated, anything. That's what we're going to do. I just, I'm already at a blank. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and I guess we'll send you out with some music because it's weird when we just end an episode and it's like dead silent. Go for it.
everybody. Welcome to the pilot episode of Next Planet Over. If you are a regular listener of our podcast, you might notice that one of our podcasts disappeared recently. We said goodbye to a full throttle podcast because, frankly, we kind of hit the end of the road with that one. So, kind of teased. What's that? We hit a wall. We hit a wall. We just kind of <laughs> ran out of we, we thought, well, should we keep milking this? No, we should probably just stop now. It was a, t- a podcast devoted to TV shows with cool vehicles, but we always kind of talked about like trying to do a sci-fi one. I think even all the way back to when we did the Airwolf, like which was the second episode, we're like, you know, this is kind of a sci-fi show. We talked about Auto Man, you know, so we won't we won't repeat the Auto Man, Airwolf, or the Night Rider, uh, Viper stuff. We're, we're, we already did it, so we're gonna move on. But this podcast is called Next Planet Over, where we're going to focus on shows that had a sci-fi, fantasy, horror bent, you know, something just one step beyond our reality. And some will be short-lived TV shows. I think those are kind of the focus. You know, you and I discuss shows that we loved but didn't last very long and you should get attention. Um, I wonder if that's a recurring theme. It does seem like a lot of sci-fi shows. Like, what are the rules on short-lived shows? You think uh, three seasons and less, or thirty episodes and less? Oh man, I don't know. It, I remember, uh, recall a whole lot of shows getting into a whole lot of shows, but I was a lot younger then, and it seemed like it went on forever. Yeah, in reality, I thought Quantum it was thirteen Leap, episodes. I'm like, I, yeah, I thought Quantum Leap honestly was on for nine seasons, but no, just barely five. I thought it was on for the first 10 years of my life. Yeah, <laughs> I guess reruns. Reruns confuse you. Hey, before we go any further, I'm Michael. That's Ron. How's it going? Good. You too? It's going. All right. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Hey, um, so we, we will do some of the long stuff, you know, the stuff that was on for like five, six, or you know, 10 seasons. I definitely want to talk about Stargate, one of my favorite TV shows, which oddly seems to be forgotten already. Yes. It hasn't even been that long. That ain't right. Yeah, it's weird. That ain't right. Uh, but we probably won't go into the big ones. I don't think that I will ever touch any of the Star Trek shows because there's probably 9,000 podcasts that are even doing like every single episode, not even just the show in general, just every episode. It seems like a pointless task. Yeah, I don't think we could do it any justice. No, you know that the Any better than anybody else could. They would rip right. us to shreds. We already got kind of like, every once in a while we get a guy who's kind of like a dick to us about like the car details. We're like, all right, got it, buddy. Sorry. Yeah, we're all learning here. Yeah. I mean, come on. Um, but in general, that's the focus. We kind of want to bring you shows that kind of forgotten, short-lived, uh, didn't get enough attention. Uh, this episode is going to be about Briscoe County Jr. Um, actually, I should say The Adventures of Briscoe County Jr. Uh, get it right. And uh, sometimes called Briscoe, sometimes by really, really lazy people, Briss. And then people are like, you want a tea? Are you thirsty? No, the TV show, Brisk. What? I don't know yeah. what you're talking about. <laughs> You know, back when I was... Anyway, um... <laughs> that was the only fruit-flavored tea that wasn't lemon. Raspberry <laughs> tea from Brisk is in my veins for life. I gotta go pee. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay, I'm done. Um... <laughs> oh, gotta go again. Hold on, this is the longest episode ever. Uh, so, it's gonna be Briscoe County Jr., and we decided to grab another TV show, which, not as good as Briscoe, still entertaining... Uh, even shorter lived. It was called Legend with Richard Dean Anderson. So that's the focus on this episode. Uh, we've kind of had an idea what we're talking about for the rest of the series, at least for this first run. Voyagers, um, my absolute favorite sci-fi yeah. show of all time. Uh, Werewolf, I'm trying to find something to pair with Werewolf. Um, what do we have, like Mantis and Nightman? We have a whole list here of like 9,000 shows people have thrown at us. And thank God it's not going to just be you and me, because at the rate that we pull throughout a podcast... <laughs> 
Yeah. It just wouldn't happen. It wasn't supposed to be a two-year-plus show. It somehow just... People would be <laughs> crawling through our screens and ripping our <laughs> eyes out. Anyway. Uh, Misfits of Science. Um, kind of a forgotten yes! show. Uh, amazing Stories. Oh, yeah. Buck Rogers. Battlestar Galactica, the first version. Try to look at some of this other stuff. I got Alien Nation. I got The Wizard. V, Space Above Alien the Alien Nation. How about Eerie See, Indiana? See, the part is, there's a lot of songs. Yes. Yes. <laughs> there's a lot of shows in here. Unfortunately, I feel very, very bad about this, but I personally have forgotten about. And this is going to be a walk down nostalgia lane for me as well. Yeah. Some of these, we're going to know the show very well. Some of these we've never yeah. seen before. Someone suggested She-Wolf of London, which I know was on for like three years, but I never saw a single episode. Same thing for Friday the 13th, the series. Never saw an episode of it. So nope. it's going to be a first-time thing for us. So sometimes we're just going to watch the pilot and give you our idea of like, hey, do you want to continue watching this after the pilot? Or stuff that you and I know really well, and then we can kind of talk about the whole series. You know me, I'm stubborn. If I start it, I'm going to finish it. <laughs> Some of these are going to no be matter easy. how. Manimal. Manimal's like 12 episodes. <laughs> uh, some may be very painful to get through, but I'll get through them. Some of these might be years worth of research. Like Sliders, I feel like it's going to be three years from now. Because there's so many. That show has held up better than I ever expected. Yeah. That's the one good thing out of Hulu I think I found. Um, so it's not just going to be me and Ron. Um, I'm going to have other people coming in to fill in on episodes. Uh, me and my sister, Mindy, have discussed doing like all the Joss Whedon stuff. Buffy, Angel, Firefly, uh, True Calling. Sweet. Well, True Calling wasn't Buffy, but it was kind of a skewed to it. Um, and then the guys over at Above the Airwaves, my friends Tony and Steve, are going to take on shows that were more recent. Stuff over like the last five, six years that were short-lived that I honestly am not that crazy about watching. So I figured, hey, this is a good way to spread the show out. Works. Sounds good. Stay more consistent. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. So I'm Michael. I'm the fast-talking, crazy one. That is Ron. He's the pensive one, the more thoughtful and caring. And so I will say stupid <laughs> stuff that I will apologize for, or I'll talk so fast that he doesn't know what I just said. <laughs> and he's the one who clears what? shit up for me. <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah, by the time I get a thought out, it's too late. Anyway. Okay. So let's rewind a a little bit. This, Briscoe County Jr. is connected to this story. Trust me on this one. But you and I were in math class together. A class that I barely passed because I didn't understand algebra. Uh, So I got kicked out of pre-algebra where I sat in front of you. And you also got kicked out of algebra, right? And moved over to pre-algebra or something like that? Yes, I did. Yeah, I don't understand algebra. I've never used algebra. I'm sure there's someone out there who has... Um, I'm completely okay with getting an A plus in general math two the next year because I never I needed to bring my GPA up badly. <laughs> Wait, did you say you got kicked out of pre-algebra? I got kicked. No, I got, I got kicked out of algebra down to pre-algebra where I sat with yes. you. Okay. But then the next yes. semester I was looking at. I think I got like a C minus in pre-algebra. So I said, okay. okay, so I can try going back up to algebra. Wait, no, I did pass algebra. My third. Okay, this is frustrating. I'm sorry, everybody. Uh, freshman year. You and me both ended up in pre-algebra together. Um, then the next year I went to algebra, and you did too, and we both passed. Then I chose that to go into... That was the year into... you met Juan Milligan. Juan Milligan. <laughs> you had a mustache at like 14. It was astounding. And I was a lot more tan than I am now. You so... look marvelous. <laughs> 
so then you chose to go into geometry like a normal person would, and then I said, I'm lazy and I need a better grade. So I went down to general math too, where I got an A plus because everybody else in my class, oh my God, they were suffering. Really simple, simple math. Um, but to rewind it a little bit, pre-algebra is where we met, and this is where we talk about movies and TV shows like crazy to the point where the girl who sat next to me looked at you and I and said, do you guys ever shut the hell up and stop talking about this stuff and do your homework? And we looked at each other we're like, no, no, we don't. <laughs> that was a little more mouthy then. <laughs> um, <laughs> so... It, this is the thing, like, we hung out in class, but we had never actually hung out, um, you know, outside of school. You had your mm-hmm. you had your little group, I had my little group. My little group was a bunch of hellions who were always getting into trouble, and I realized I need to hang out with better people. So that's when you and I and Aaron Holly, you know, started to form our group. And we would have, basically, video nights. And the very yeah. first video night I ever remember having was you and Dave came over, and we watched Evil Dead. <laughs> yes. And Evil Dead, you and I loved. Dave was yes, a little Dave messed up awesome. from it. He was like, what is this insanity? It is funny, though, that years down the road when Army of Darkness came out, he is all over that one. Of course, it's two very different movies. But Well, you said that about Army of Darkness, but what's funny is that, um, okay, so uh, Friday night is when we rented Evil Dead. Or no, we watched it on USA up all night. Uh, Saturday, I watched... USA up all night. Oh, my God, I missed right. USA up all night. We were talking about it yesterday. And the guy that I was discussing it with is way younger than us. I think he's like 23 at most. And he had never heard of it. And I was like, oh my god, you don't know the joy of watching crappy movies with Gilbert Godfrey and Rhonda Shear mocking them. I'm Gilbert Godfrey. (laughs) (laughs) And that was... That, that and terrible. Mystery Science Theater were extremely crucial to our sense of what we liked. You know, <laughs> what we, yes. we we knew they were bad movies. We didn't care. We were just entertained. Meadows. <laughs> um, <laughs> lots of trauma films. Lots of Toxic Avenger, Class of Newcomb High. Uh, the Chair, the the movie that's so terrible that I would scream in horror <laughs> anytime someone mentioned it. Didn't we dub? Did we dub that the worst movie we have ever seen? Yep. Do you remember when Beth told us that she had seen it like three years down the road and I just like curled in the corner? <laughs> Bad memories. You gotta excuse him. Um, <laughs> um, okay. You're so, going to have to leave now. <laughs> so we watched Evil Dead in the heart of winter. And my parents are on vacation, so they're not telling me I can watch horror movies or not. I think by this point I was getting to start watching them. Like I'd seen some of the Freddy's and Jason's. Um, but this is gore-tastic. The first Evil Dead is insane. There's so much nastiness to it if you haven't seen it oh my god uh, just be aware don't have children around uh not a good idea yeah so this i kid you not it's it's like 10 degrees outside and i have to see evil dead so bad that i walk from my house to the video store which was what do you think like three miles maybe to hometown video uh, no it's not that far but it's at least like 20 blocks yeah and i grabbed that and i grabbed fright night and that became part of... Yes. Were you there? Did we watch those together? You, you you were staying overnight at Dave's, I think, and you guys came over again to watch those. Yeah, so I'm not sure if I was there that night or not. I know we've seen them together at some point. So. Yeah, and I, and then, I kid you not, like two weeks later, I see a trailer for Army of Darkness. That's how close it was. Oh, wow. I mean, what are the chances? Maybe they're showing Evil Dead on television to promote Army of Darkness, but we had never seen anything about it. So I, I, More than I guess, likely. I guess it's just a coincidence. But 
I was like, holy shit, that's the guy. Because Evil Dead 2 ends with, you know, him, you know, in the past with a shotgun, that iconic outfit. And so I knew the second I saw the trailer, I was like, wait, wait, Army of Darkness? No, that's clearly Evil Dead 3. What is going on here? This is for you whippersnappers who don't know what it's like to not have the internet. This was... <laughs> Our trailers had to be seen in the movie theater or on TV. We... Or in a movie poster that we, in the video store that we spent, you know, nine-tenths of our time in. <laughs> the hours alone. That carpet was worn down just us, like, looking at VHS. What about this one? Nah, like, I look stupid. But that's the point. <laughs> that's why we should rent this. You're like, oh, shit, yeah, that's right. Okay, let's grab that. Let's grab one good one, one bad one. That's the way it works. It's like, guys, yeah. we have one night. One night. We don't get out of here. We're not going to watch anything. Oh, no. There's numerous times they're like, they're sweeping the floor. We're looking at videos. It is 9 o'clock. And they're like, guys, we're closed. You want to grab your videos? We're like, we can't decide. And you know, We still haven't gone to Owens to get our lemon heads. Uh, Come on. Lemon heads and cookie dough. I'm sure we all have tapeworms now from so much cookie dough. That's uh, we're all, that's what we're going to... They're going to take over. It's, it's a new horror movie where these tape monsters have actually controlled our brains. Woo! What did I say I called mine the other day? George? Uh, yeah, I don't know what to call mine. Uh, um, we'll call him Jorge. Call Leo. Leo. George and Leo. Um, so I go, to our, I go to see Army of Darkness. You were unable to come for some reason. I think you had something with church you had to do. So I went with Aaron Hawley like the second church was over. So it was me, my sister, Aaron Hawley, and one of her friends who hated the movie with an unwavering passion. <laughs> she kept saying, this movie's so stupid. And we're like, shut up! <laughs> it's the greatest! <laughs> <laughs> and um, after that, I went and saw Loaded Weapon 1 while uh, the girls went over and saw some Christian Slater movie. I can't remember what it was. We can get a baboon heart or something. And, um, oh, that's a good movie. Untamed Heart? Untamed Heart, yes. But as much as I loved Loaded Weapon 1, all I could think about was how great Army of Darkness was. And yes. I came back <laughs> and I told you, that was the greatest movie ever. You need to see this. And I remember, do you remember Nate Newell? Yes. His brother... Um, we were, he, wait, which one was, one of them was our grade and the one was older, Nate or Nick, but, um, the Nick older one that was, was in the radio, older one. okay, whichever one was the older one that was in radio with us, I told him about Army of Darkness and he said, yeah, I went and saw it too. That movie was terrible. And it was the first time that I think I locked into a movie as mine. This is my movie. Right. I need to champion this movie and I need to champion Bruce Campbell. Right. And then, and we came out on video and we rented it. And I still remember the trailers, Judgment Night and Hard Target, three movies that are still in my top like twenty list. Uh, what are the chances of them being all like promoted on the same tape? It's what's that called? Kismet. Yeah, and, it's Kismet. <laughs> and we rented that. I want to say it was August because we watched it at Dave's house, and it was me, you, Dave, Robert, Tim, and then of course Eric and um, Michelle. And we all thought it was a riot. Like, it was just a full-on blast. And then I look in my TV guide, like, the next day. It's the fall preview. And there is Bruce Campbell standing next to his horse, looking kind of sly, like he's in charge. He's here to have fun. And I was like, oh, my God. I must watch Briscoe County Jr. <laughs> I, was, I used to be really big, and actually Dave was, too, into Hercules and Xena. I guess they were in both of them. Yeah. But he played a character. How do you say his name? Atocles, a I think. Atocles. Metallicus. Metallicus? Metallicus. Metallicus. <laughs> anyway, whatever. When he first came on the scene, that show took on a whole new meaning to me. <laughs> like, like, anyway. Well, sorry. we would purposely anyway, search on. out. We would, if it wasn't you and me, it was me and Aaron Hawley. 
where we would go and try to find because this is back in the day where you couldn't just download you couldn't stream you couldn't order just any movie on amazon you had to go hunt these movies down so i was renting movies at every single video store in our small little town and sometimes i would go to fort wayne to get them so after army of darkness uh you know i'm looking for waxworks 2 i'm looking for sundown the vampire retreat i'm looking for moon trap and all these movies are just they're okay they're not great but nothing matched the energy of Army of Darkness, except mm-hmm. in a weird way, Briscoe County Jr. is everything that made Army of Darkness great. It's funny, yes. it's exciting, it has special effects, it has a wild and crazy story. Everybody in it is likable. Only major difference is... You it's know, not Ash, way over the top. Ash, yeah, is... It, well, yeah, it's a Three Stooges, but there are moments in Briscoe where it goes to the edge of, like, almost too silly. Right. There's but then a, you went to rein it in. Yeah, there's a. I think the final episode is they're in a helium thing, and uh, in a blimp, a helium thing. What the fuck? <laughs> idiot. They're in a blimp, and um, uh, they have to get more gas release so they go higher. And the gas leaks into the blimp, and they're all talking like with baby voices, and it's so ridiculous. <laughs> and they know it's ridiculous. Like you can see Bruce Campbell look at the camera, look at us, look at the rest of them, and go, "When is this going to end? <laughs> this is insane." Here's. <laughs> John, is it, I, every time I, I want to say Sean Aston, it's John Aston. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. I could. Okay, I missed that episode. I haven't got to that episode at least yet. It's like I can just imagine him doing that anyway. Oh yeah, and he's the one. He's the one flying the blimp. He's responsible. Right. Uh, <clears throat> Professor Wickwire. Um, he's he shows up probably about six episodes. Um, and every time I love John Aston. He was a. Uh, I never watched the oh, Adams yeah. Family, but I knew him from uh, Night Court. He was so great in Night Court. John Aston was in Night Court? He was Harry's father. But oh, they didn't... Right. I don't think they said it for a long time. He was kind of a crazy guy who would come in like a few times a season. And you can never figure out why it is that Harry tolerated his nonsense. I mean, he was a generally a very kind character. Um, but then you realize, I think it was around season six that that was his father and that he was too far gone to really recognize... That it was, Harry was a son. They just had like some sort of connection anyway, and he just was so used to it. Right. But it, really touching. So his, his performances have always been kind of tinged with like madness. But John Aston plays it in a way that he's so lovable. It's kind of hard not to. I mean, no offense to him. He's he's an awesome actor, an awesome man. Man, but uh, when you have eyes look the way he does, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm. Uh, Oh, so here's another major difference is the fact that um, Ash was kind of a tool. He's a lovable tool, he, you know, yeah. but Briscoe is just, he's kind of like in a way that you uh, find Captain America or Superman appealing in the fact that they are like, no matter what the odds are, they're going to go up against it and they're not going to go too far like the way Batman does. You know, he's not an anti-hero. Right. He is, right. A, for children watching this show, He's actually a very good upstanding citizen that you can be comfortable with your children watching, even though there are a few cheeky jokes. But considering how television is nowadays, especially, that is, it's like, oh, nothing. It just means nothing. Right. There's a couple, yeah, definitely some jokes in there. I noticed some humor that I didn't probably pick up on when I was watching it the first time around. But it's a little more adult oriented, but it's very subtle. It's, it's subtle. It's out there. It's quick. It's over. It's anyway. Now, um, did you watch this when it was originally on television, or was it because of the VHS yes. tapes that I had? Okay. I watched it originally, yeah. Um, probably, 
Did I? You know what? I don't know. It seems to me like I did, but I can't, honestly can't remember. What would have it? Where would have it been aired? Well, it was on Fox on Fridays, and they always aired it with X Files. Okay. okay, that makes sense then. I know I watched X Files from the get go. Yeah, that's but. me too. And, and it's funny is um, when Briscoe was canceled. I didn't watch X-Files religiously like I had before. I had seen every single episode. And I noticed season two, I watched maybe 50% of the episodes and became 25%. And then I would just catch them every once in a while. Um, and then my just interest kind of waned until that movie came out. I think right. you need a really solid hook sometimes to bring people in. And so it's surprising that Briscoe County Jr. failed in the ratings. You know, like it started yeah. off strong and then went downhill while X-Files started off small and then grew into this massive thing. Right. I think, I think the reason I was at, I stayed with X-Files all the way to the end, but that, that was because Fane was really into it as well. So yeah. it became something we could watch together. And uh. I remember. Do you remember when Bruce Campbell showed up, like, in season, I want to say, eight or nine of X-Files? The one with, like, the demon baby? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> it was always out there, but it got really weird at the end. I, I, I went and saw Bruce Campbell at the Sacramento Comic-Con three years ago. and Jealous. Yeah, well, don't. It was terrible. I walked out. <laughs> oh, no. It was so disappointing. He refuses. I know he's talked about it a bunch, but the people are there to hear him talk about him, you know, and the movies that he did and, and TV shows. <clears throat> and all right. he did was bring people up on stage and interview them and was a real smarmy ass. You know, he was more ash than he was. I don't know if he thinks that's what the audience loves or if that's who he's become now, which was kind of disappointing. And I was like, okay, so the first five guests were fantastic. I loved all of them. We saw Billy Dee Williams, William Shatner, um, James Marsters, uh, Michael Rosenbaum from Mm -hmm. Smallville. He played Lex Luthor. Um, Oh, I feel terrible. I feel so terrible. The one female that we saw, uh, she was on Buffy as Darla. Um, Dexter, Woondock Saints. Shit. Uh, I have to look that up. I feel like a jerk for not remembering. But, you know, they're all fantastic. Sadly, Stan Lee was too sick to show up. Um, mm. But Bruce Campbell got up there, and I was like, this is going to be great. And then, like, 20 minutes later, I don't... In general, I care about the people, like, what you know, whether they live or die, if their lives are good or whatever, but I don't care that this guy works at the post office. There's no good stories about the post office. <laughs> I'm sure there, sure there is. <laughs> Yeah. I got a paper cut the other day. Yeah. With, uh, oh, I anyway. accidentally put a package into the wrong box. Oh, it was my face red. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's funny you bring that up. I'm, I just did a quick search. Is is Bruce Campbell a jerk? <laughs> really? <laughs> and there's an odd article that comes up that says, The terrible day I met Bruce Campbell. Oh, no. I'm like, yeah. I don't know. And I, I don't want to knock the guy or anything i'm not gonna that's not what i'm here for but um as you, you get to a point where you get pigeonholed into something and who knows what you might do i mean they might just get into you know skin, what i mean it's a, so. yeah exactly eventually it might get to you like a lot of child actors they only known for one thing and eventually they go off on the deep end and it's because they're tired of it they're sick well, you know you imagine everybody walking up to um oh damn it uh, different strokes. What you talking about, Willis? Right. Gary Coleman. Uh, can you imagine them going up to Gary Coleman every single day, like a hundred times a day? Either, oh, you're so small. Can I pick you up? Or to um, uh, say what you going to talk. What, 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 what you talking about? Say it. Say it. Say what you talking about. You're an asshole for not saying it, man. 
you know, so. Right, right. It would drive me nuts. Like, they owe us anything. Seriously. You They're people, too. Is Briscoe County Junior has no slogans, like, no catchphrases. Um, I always think it's Well, amazing. there's one. What? There's oh, one. the coming thing. The coming, the coming thing. thing, yes. Uh, by the way, that actress is Julie Benz, the one I was trying to remember her name. I had to look that up. Okay. Like a tool. But she was great. Um, that, but here's the weird thing is that's not really – it's a slogan, but it's also a general idea of the show. And the hopefulness, right. the forward-looking attitude of the show is that, that Briscoe is a next-generation kind of Western guy. He is not only yes. looking into, like, you know, well, he's a bounty hunter, you know, but he was also a lawman, uh, a lawyer, I should say. Um, Harvard educated. Yes. Is right. Yeah. Uh, so he, he has an idea of what's coming next and that we should look forward to it. And instead of being caught up in our old ways, which um, it's, it's set in 1893. But if you look at 1993 is right when we were starting to embrace this whole new technological world. So it's a parable. To the internet, CD-ROMs, you know, uh, yeah. streaming, well, not streaming, but, you know, uh, messaging, like, you know, on these boards and, and stuff like this. Like, you have to embrace technology or you are going to be left behind. There was, um, when I was doing some research here, there's a term that came up called, and for, pardon me if I butcher it, millennialism. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Am I saying it right? Fear of anything anyway. from a millennial? Well, no, it's just new things. Like every thousand years, something's going to happen. It's it, it's gone on through history. Every thousand years, everyone thinks something's going to happen, something big's going to happen. And typically, turn of the century things. Okay, it's just necessarily the same thing going on here. But anyway, yeah. So in, I, in, I, in the meaning of Briscoe, it's about embracing like city life is now becoming a thing. People are right. advancing with technology. You know, the, this episode or the series showed like motorcycles. And uh, the blimp and, and steampunk kind of ideas and gadgets and doodads and not just the sci-fi element with the orb, but mm-hmm. actual what was really coming up in our world around that time. Well, some of the stuff was a little out of place, but I think that was on purpose. Yeah. The but, Elvis thing. As much yeah. as Gary Hudson yeah. uses me <laughs> as, uh, what was his name, Aaron? Uh, Aaron something, I can't remember, but... um. His Elvis thing is ridiculous, but at the same time, it's so amusing that I can't hate it. But you notice there's a few things dropped in there. You're like, hmm, maybe that didn't belong in the show. <laughs> um, what was I going to say in the other... And there might go on. I lost that thought. Okay. Um, so the, <laughs> this, the series setup, basically, is Briscoe County Sr. Has, kid, has captured all of these great villains. And they're all part of this huge gang, the Bly Gang. And they get loose, and they end up killing him. Do, I, I never really question it, but I assume they killed everybody else. Because you remember that scene where they go, you single-handedly hand, single captured all these men, and his father, uh, played by Arlie Ermey, um, from Full yeah. Metal and the Frighteners, <laughs> and so many other things. Frighteners! Um, he turns around, looks at his man, he goes, this gentleman said I caught him single-handedly. <laughs> but I assume that they're probably all dead, too, sadly. Nah. But um, way to end on a morose note. And that was our episode, everybody. See ya. No. <laughs> da, 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 da. Anyway, um, that sets up the <laughs> plot though that now he's being hired by the same company that his father worked for to capture all these men, and that kind of gives you like the thirteen episodes. That's the way a lot of sci-fi shows are now. 
They either give yeah. you the, hey, this is the setup for the first 13. If we go beyond that, we'll come up with something else. Or they do things like, 100 villains just went back through time. You have to capture all of them. 100? That's a weirdly even number. Well, that's how many episodes we need to get for syndication. <laughs> right. <laughs> so well, It's like, funny you bring up the whole violence thing. It's like, oh, they said, or read somewhere, that Briscoe County and the pilot never once fired his gun. Really? I never noticed that. Yeah, I so see. That's the thing about the show is that it, you were talking about kids being able to watch it. So most of the violence in it is really well thought out. Instead of um, shooting his way out of play things, a lot of times he thinks his way out of it. You know, it's. Well, I think we were starting. We're in that era where heroes were starting to embrace, and that'll bring us to our second show that we're talking about, Legend. But Richard Dean Anderson and MacGyver was groundbreaking yes. in the fact that there were some shows where they pulled the gun on people, but they didn't necessarily shoot them. But that's right. still an idea of violence, um, extreme violence, I should say, um, instead of the classic punching or whatever. But MacGyver came up with this whole idea of creating gadgets that wouldn't kill, but it would get him out of the problem that he was in. And then Briscoe kind of took up the reins because I think MacGyver had ended the year before. So it was almost natural that networks were looking for another show that everybody could watch together that didn't embrace killing. It's just his running theme. Yeah, you know, just like embracing technology and, and logic and reasoning and science and, and you know, like strategy. You know, Briscoe was a lot about that. Mind you, half of the time he got out of it because of Comet, <laughs> the greatest horse I've ever seen in film. <laughs> so where can I get a horse like that? <laughs> uh, Lord Buller was a little more prone to pulling his gun out. I love Lord Buller. It's funny how the show changes because in the <laughs> beginning they're complete nemesis, like rivals. And right. and then they become like begrudging friends, and then they're like they they cannot leave each other's side. They're a team now. Well, you said that originally it was written to where they would be enemies throughout the season, but they noticed the chemistry and they decided, yeah, we've got something to go in here. And so and I, I think they did a great job. I'm glad they did it that way. Yeah. Well, you know, and Julius Carey played it um, as like this almost like a lovable, just like he's not stupid, but He's impulsive. Like, whatever pops in his yes. head, he does. And that can get him into yeah. trouble, and then Briscoe's there to calm him down. They play off each other well for that. I love his laugh, too. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, not, that's a different laugh. Yeah, you also anyway. have the nerds there. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, <laughs> Sorry. Uh, sadly, Julius Carey did pass away way too young. Yeah. I was shocked when I heard about it, because he seemed like a pretty healthy guy. Yeah. Uh, Julius Carey, I mean, before Briscoe County Jr., he was in a movie called The Last Dragon playing a villain called Shonuff, who is so hilarious. Shonuff. <laughs> and he was also in a TV show that I hold near and dear to my heart, even though it's almost impossible to find, is called Doctor Doctor with Matt Frewer. He was his best friend. Really? Yeah, do you remember that show at all? I vaguely remember Doctor Doctor. Doctor Doctor was really groundbreaking in that it presented a lot of these medical ideas like you know, uh, people with HIV, you know, and, and, and cancer and stuff like that. Uh, there's, yeah. a, there's a way you could treat medical stuff, like the way ER and, and the dramas treat it. Um, it. It found a way to find humor in these things that are not good, you know, in, in people's lives. Yeah. And also balance it out really well with drama. Uh, it was only on for three seasons, and um, it's highly underrated. You can't find it anywhere. It's ridiculous. I, I, even bootleg you couldn't even find it, I don't think. Um which is sad because now you find every single TV show available in some form, but stuff like pre two thousand two really hard to find. Yeah, unfortunately. But a lot of that stuff. Oh, was I was talking to my buddy about 
um, like the old Monty Python stuff over there. Half that stuff is gone. Yeah, Doctor Who. Like all of it, because they decided was it Doctor Who or no? It's Monty Doctor Who Python. that they lost. It was you and I. I think we we're talking about this. Doctor Who. They lost yeah. a bunch of episodes, but Monty Python. They were going to erase the tapes, but someone called them and said, "Hey, they're about to erase the masters. Do you want to come right. and get them?" And they snuck in and got them before the they could wipe them. See, this would have been so nice if that would have happened earlier. They probably, yeah, that that sort of thing. Just, I don't know. They were archiving movies from back when movies began. So why, why? Well, they do uh, that? bad storage. No bad storage is a lot of it. Uh, they they don't keep it in a dry area. There was um, someone was telling me that they had found a warehouse filled with, filled with tons of prints and merchandising, and they had found a poster of one of their movies, and it was on the very very bottom, and it got wet and ruined, and then someone was nice enough to restore it. I, God, I cannot remember for the life of me who that was, but think about sure. that though. Uh, paper and and the, the, this film yeah. print, these videotapes are deteriorating because no one's switched them over yet. I have seen some stuff switched over to DVD, but no one took care of it. So you'll see a literally a VHS roll line go through the film. I'm like, oh, well, yeah. I mean, at least it's still surviving. We couldn't find a better quality version. Right. Uh, if you I, could take that and fix it yourself I, I don't know how that works but yeah i don't know i don't know. yeah i think you have to take the inner positive negative and whatever and redo it but some people don't see yeah. the value in some of these tv shows you put out dr doctor right now on dvd and people are going to go I, I don't i don't know who matt frewer is i don't know who julius carey is i don't know who i never heard of the show so therefore i'm not even going to give it a shot um right so that's why some of these like on demand kind of stuff exists but it's so much more expensive uh the other series really that, did a lot of stuff Julius Carey did a series after this for one season, even though it lasted, for, I think, for six seasons. Uh, he was in the original season of Two Guys, a Girl, in a Pizza Place as the guy who managed the pizza place. Oh, you yeah. said how many episodes? Uh, he's only in the first season, I believe, and the show ran for, okay. I think, seven seasons. It was uh, Two Guys, a Girl, in a Pizza Place, and then somewhere along the way, they ditched the pizza place and just called it Two Guys and a Girl. Right, right. Not I, I vaguely remember that, but I don't think I ever actually watched it. I was a fiend. I watched it like crazy. You know why I watched it? Because of Julius <laughs> Carey. <laughs> uh, I'm Bruce... looking at this list of movies, or yeah. not movies, rather, TV shows. He's very well-rounded as far as his characters and what it looks like. But I mean, yeah. he was on the new League of the Beaver. Really? Wow. When they started naming... Remember when they started bringing back all of those TV shows and just started calling them new? And they were right. never the same. They were yeah. never as good. No, they weren't. No, they were not. Uh, Bruce Campbell after this you know he kind of balanced out here's the weird thing is after the Evil Dead Army of Darkness you think people would have been giving him a lot of wild crazy fun roles but it seemed like they gave him a lot of neutered roles where he was just like this bland straight guy or when he was a villain he had no real uh, energy and mm -hmm. uh, everything that he was working for post uh, Briscoe just seemed like it didn't go anywhere he was in a TV show pilot for Tin Cup the series uh, he was on Ellen and he was supposed to be Ellen's love interest for the rest of the series, but then she decided that her character was coming out, so they're like, well, we have no use for your character, so we're letting you go. He did those two Disney hmm. movies, which you still haven't been able to see his version of The Love Bug, which is fantastic. You haven't been able to see it? No, I haven't. Have you seen The Love Bug with Bruce Campbell? Yes. Oh, never mind then. We're good. <laughs> uh, here... <laughs> I've seen that one, and I actually like that one. The, the Lohan one, on the other hand, not no, so much. No, anyway. No. Uh, the one thing that slipped away from him that he really, really tried getting was uh, Jeffrey Bohm, the co-creator of Briscoe County Jr., was writing The Phantom for Paramount. 
and he suggested Bruce, and Bruce got all the way up to the costume fittings, and it was down to him and Billy Zane, and history has told you who got that role. Yeah. That movie was not a hit, so I don't think it really would have helped Bruce Campbell in any way. No, he probably dodged a bullet there. Maybe, because if you look at Billy Zane's career, he did Phantom, then he did Titanic, the biggest movie ever made, and then, um, I don't know. I, I don't know what he's doing. Nothing but B movies. Yeah, no. nothing, yeah. B and Z level movies is awful. <clears throat> but Bruce had a huge comeback with, uh, as much as Hercules and Xena kept his kept him out there, you know, so people saw who he was, you know, um, yeah. it was Burn Notice that really saved his career. Right. And it actually put him in a dramatic role that actually showed what he could do. And still be funny at times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Have you watched Ash vs. Evil Dead, the TV series? Not yet. I've been waiting for it. I don't know if it's honestly out on Netflix or anything. I'm waiting for that. Yeah. So I could just binge watch it. I have season one. Mindy sent it to me for Christmas, and it's disgusting. It's fun, but oh my god, it's so puke-tastic. It's less Army (laughs) of Darkness and more Evil Dead 2. It's pretty gross. Uh, But hey, what do you think? I say that's that's the way the world is these days. So more gore, yeah. the better. So. Um, okay. We thought it was bad when we were growing up. <laughs> uh, main villain of Briscoe County Jr. is Billy Drago as John Bly, who, if you yeah. watch the series, like say you binge watch the series, take a drink every time um, uh, John Bly does this thing with his hands where he has it in his vest and he pulls it out with his hands and he goes, oh, Briscoe, and he's like, oh, chug, chug, chug. <laughs> <laughs> I was looking at trying to look up information on him, and I'm like, "What?" I'm looking at IMDb, and I'm not even seeing his name. Billy Drago. Like, what's going on? He's like yeah. a thousand movies that all went straight to video, except for like two. Uh, no, no, guy saying, Delta... his, his hmm? character name doesn't his name doesn't pop up in the cast list huh. on IMDb. That's weird. I'm like, oh. come on, he's the main villain, right? <laughs> Um, I know him mostly because he was the main bad guy at the end of Untouchables. You know, when he's going there to assassinate someone, and then Kevin Costner chases mm-hmm. him through the building. He's got that white suit that's so iconic. Uh, yep. Bad guy in Delta Force 2. But then after that, I think it's mostly just straight-to-video stuff. But Briscoe County yeah. Jr., he's a great villain. But you do think it's kind of silly that every time he's just so theatrical and laid back. <laughs> well, you know, um, was it Dan E. Burroughs? His Dan, son, Darren Burroughs from Darren. Uh, Northern Why did I say Dan? Darren, yes. I didn't realize who he was. I'm looking through his pictures now that I know who he is. And I'm like, man, it really does look like him, doesn't yeah. he? I, I didn't catch on for a long time. Well, I mean, it's like different last name. I'm assuming Drago is a uh, stage name. Yeah, that was his mother's maiden name. Oh, okay. But, because somebody else already had the name Burroughs. Oh, gotcha. Um, he He's a good villain. Uh, the show was smart enough not to get obsessed with showing him every episode, which some shows do, and you get sick of looking at the bad guy. And yeah. um, Makes it fresh when he does come back in. Yeah, and, you know, I think what had happened at the three-quarters of the way through season one, they decide to ditch the sci-fi element. They said that there's too much going on. We have romance, we have comedy, we have western, we have action, you know, and uh, the sci-fi, I think, is, you know, messing with people. And I feel like that was the exact wrong thing to do. Because that's what right. separated from the rest of the pack was having the sci-fi elements. Yep. You didn't have and to that's what brought me orb. into it. Yeah, you didn't have to keep the orb in John Bly. But you had, I think it would have been good if they had focused more on, like, steampunk and, and sci-fi. Right. You know, not so much stuff in the future, but some other ah. element that would be fantastical. 
I think steampunk's been around a while, but I think in recent years it's had a big surge in popularity. I think if something like this would have been released now, mm-hmm. might have done better. Who knows? And yeah. if they'd have kept that element in it, but you know what's funny is the original script for Big Trouble in Little China had Jack Burton in the Old West, and then Fox said, "Well, no one cares about westerns. Let's set it in modern day." But I feel like there's elements of what could have been Big Trouble in Little China in Briscoe. You got kung fu, you got mysticism, you got, you know, uh, yep. sword and sorcery, and you know the classic uh, square jawed hero. Yep, I can see that. I wonder if they ever make a Big Trouble in Little China TV show. I've been reading the comic, and it's not what I want it to be, but it's not terrible. I think we had touched on this before, where they're potentially remaking Big Trouble. Yeah, with uh, Dwayne Johnson. With Dwayne Johnson. I don't know what to think about that one. But yeah. Anyway. Right now, John Carpenter is actually writing a <laughs> sequel called Old Man Jack, where it, it if they were to make a sequel right now with Kurt Russell, this is what the story would be. That would be awesome to see. The, Maybe. Uh, <laughs> um, so, yeah, after they ditched the sci-fi elements, they focused more on, like, this teamwork kind of thing. You know, they're, they're adding um, my favorite character, um, uh, Pete. Shit. What was yeah. it? Pete. Uh, <laughs> You touch Pete's piece! No one touches Pete's piece! You, you touch my piece! <laughs> oh! Pete Morgan? No, it's Whip Morgan. Pete. I had it in my head earlier. Um, but there's a line <laughs> in the very first episode which kills me to no end where he's losing his mind over the fact that he touched his gun. But then he's like, he goes on this weird trip <laughs> where he's like, and somebody showed up to school without his pants on! <laughs> <laughs> and like Pete, what is going on with you? <laughs> I was like, he's been spending too much time in the opium dens. Anyway, <laughs> uh, Pete joins the team begrudgingly. He's he's kind of an enemy, but he starts becoming like a guy who works with them just out of uh, sheer need to. Um, yeah. They add Whip Morgan, which I thought was completely pointless. If you want a good-looking young guy, you got Bruce Campbell already. So why are they adding the kid? Yeah. Um, and then Dixie, Dixie is added as a regular instead of just a reoccurring. And I love, I have such a crush, even as a 40-year-old man on her. Oh, my God. But I got to tell you, when I was uh, I was 16 when the show came out, and that was like, boom, 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 boom. I'm like the wolf in uh, the cartoon. Woo-hoo! Anyway. <laughs> um, but I think it's very, very strange that Briscoe keeps calling her dicks. Yeah. It's yeah. Odd. And he keeps saying stuff that sounds borderline like, what did, what did you say? I love dicks. Uh, oh, dicks is beautiful. Look, check out dicks. And they're like, no, stop it. <laughs> How is nobody getting this? <laughs> this is, honestly, this is, well, everyone's always been testing limits, but I think this is back when, early on, when they really started testing the limits, what they could put on TV. Yeah. But uh, get away with it. And, uh, Socrates Pool, <laughs> fantastic name. Everybody in this show has a, a strange name. Who names their kid Briscoe? I don't even know what Briscoe is. I guess Socrates. That's kind of a high-minded. I think his sister's name was Gemini or something weird. But um, Briscoe. Socrates Pool is such a stressed-out mess that he amuses me to no end because Briscoe doesn't follow the rules and it frustrates him. And Bowler gets involved. Oh, we're done. We're done. <laughs> Well, it shows here that Briscoe's in, could be serving four years in prison for selling fake... Oh, wait. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of, that's... that's Apparently, there's a rapper named Briscoe. Oh, anyway. uh, there's, a, there's a series tie-in here at the end where he's possibly going to prison. Um, 
And I was like, oh god, don't let this be the last episode. Because it didn't occur to me until I got the DVD set that I had never finished the series. I had no idea, like, uh, Terry Bradshaw was, like, this big villain. I'm like, I, I don't recall this episode at all. Because for me, I think I stopped at the, uh... Okay, so John Bly has been destroyed by the orb. You know, he shoves it through. That was a great episode, by the way. Jumping back through time, just constantly using the orb in different ways. Um, yeah. There's an orphan episode. And I think that was so terrible. Because they have an Irish gang that's after these two twins that are heirs to some great fortune. The kids are irritating. They're terrible actors. And then they got these terrible guys doing these horrible Irish accents. And I was like, I'm done. I'm good. So I didn't. I never watched like the last six episodes. Really? I, I didn't, it didn't even occur to me. I thought, oh, 22 episodes. You know, John Bly gets killed in episode 20 or 21. And then the right. series ended. And I didn't realize that it kept going for like six more episodes. Well, like I said earlier, I'm, I'm stubborn. Yeah, you, you commit. That's why you're good. You're good to be a father and a husband. I'm I'm a rascal. I just jump around. Um, I I'm actually quite surprised that it never got another go at it because Briscoe County Jr. was on TNT for like a decade in constant reruns. You think since TNT was owned by Warner Brothers, Warner Brothers owned Briscoe County Jr. It still has such a strong cult following that they would have at least done one movie, like The Return of Briscoe County Jr., but they never did. That would have been awesome. Yeah, I just it surprised me. I kept waiting for it to happen, and just nothing. Uh, sadly, Bruce Campbell would then put on a lot of weight and be yeah. hard to sell as an action hero, but thankfully he's starting to slim down. Yeah. I don't know. Given the right motivation, anybody could... Yeah. Anyway. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anything else I want to say about the show, but, I mean, it's just one of those really wild and crazy fun shows that never dumbed it down, never talked down to you. I mean, there's a couple missteps, I think, episode-wise, but especially, like, up until John Bly's demise, those are almost perfect 20 episodes. <clears throat> yeah. There's one thing I wanted to say, but I didn't want to interrupt your music in the, in the beginning, but... Yeah. Did you know the music in this was used as the Olympics? Actually, still is being used for the Olympics. Really? Even to this day? At least that's what I read. I I gather it's still being used, but it's I guess it's supposed to be used in, like, upcoming or coming soon or coming up next or something like that, you know, that sort of thing, like the interim between event type huh. music. Man, the composer like, must be raking in the dough. <laughs> right? Every uh, four Randy years, Edelman, I guess. paycheck. <laughs> I don't want to put any stock in it or not, but one guy uh, made a comment. I guess the music had been written and wasn't picked up by NBC. So he used it for Briscoe County. Oh. And then later on, they used it for the, or NBC used it for not only the Olympics, but I think for baseball as well. So anyway. Hmm. But. Um, so our next series is Legend. Now, Legend is a fairly forgotten show. Whereas Briscoe yeah, County yeah. Jr. has always maintained a cult following, part of it's Briscoe County, or because of Bruce Campbell, but also because the plot's so you know memorable. Legend was on. Now this is weird. Um, they UPN debuted in 1995, and they tried to pull the same thing that Fox did. Fox debuted summer of uh, 1987, and they decided, hey, all the networks are showing reruns. Let's debut our shows. So that people have new content during the summer. Let's do it on Sunday night because most people are like kind of winding it down on a Sunday night, you know. Right. So UPN, you know, they decided to try to copy the same thing, and I think they had about eight or nine shows they had ready to go that year. Um, I think the only one that was successful was Voyager, right? Is that the Star Trek Deep Space? Yeah, Voyager. Yes. Um, with Janeway. 
Uh, and Legend, I think, was paired with it because one of the guys from Star Trek had gone over there to produce. I'm trying to remember who the guy was that created it. Um, I know he's from one of the Star Trek shows. And this is when everybody gets on um, the Next Generation, I think, is with... Michael Pillar. Yeah, from... um, but, you know, once Star Trek The Next Generation ended, I think a lot of those guys went off to do shows. You would see them pop up here and there. Uh, a lot of them in the same episode, same shows together. Yeah, uh, yeah, Star Trek. Um, it has to, be, it has to be next. Yeah, Next Generation. Okay. Um, so Legend, you know, originally meant to be a TV pilot, which some, you know, they did that a lot during the seventies and eighties. If they were interested in doing a TV show, they would do it as a movie, and then if the network didn't pick it up, they still had a movie that they could sell on VHS, sell overseas, sell in syndication. You know, just for uh, a burn off on a Saturday afternoon. So uh, UPN and WB still had that kind of in mind, doing two-hour movies for a pilot, and if it went well, hey, we go to series. So Legend uh, only lasted 13 episodes during that summer, April to August of 95. And I think, you know, honestly, the UPN audience was too uh, excited about Seganet. <laughs> hey, we can play our Genesis online, download games for free over the phone line. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> do you remember that, Seganet? I do, I do. Oh, <laughs> it was like through your coaxial cable or something like that. You could play games immediately. <laughs> well, was... I'm also thinking about the fact that you and I would spend, I don't even remember what it was called, but do you remember there was a phone line that you could call, and I don't remember if we said mm-hmm. the artist's name or we had to type in the artist's name, and then it would play clips of music from that artist? Yeah, it was like Soundhound from ninety from the nineties. <laughs> yeah, and I remember how pathetic that was. They played 30 seconds of a song. I was like, hey, I want to check out this band. How are they making money at this? And then, like, six months later, they're out of business. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Legend, sorry, I'm going on too long here. Oh, you're fine. Uh, Legend kind of picks up where Briscoe County Jr. left off because they have yet another idea of, you know, bringing sci-fi and, and technology to defeat the villains instead of, you know, just putting a bullet in them. And, you know, it, it kind of lines up with MacGyver as well because Richard Dean Anderson was coming back to television after a few years away wanting to make an idea that he could sell to families. Which is weird considering that his character, Ernest Pratt, is uh, a Pratt. You know, he's a, he's a complete tool. <laughs> right. <laughs> Not exactly the wholesome character you want with you, but that's kind of the point is that he makes that arc from going between being like just a guy who drinks too much, who uh, kind of carouses around a little bit with the ladies and, um, you know, just uses his fame to get around. It's a, It was a little weird how he went from being what he was to, you know, like in, just in the pilot alone. Yeah. I guess was, you have to. I mean, it's a movie. You have yeah. to, but it was a quick, anyway. it was a quick alteration, but he, the real yes. hero of this is Jenna's bar talk. <laughs> John DeLancey. Q, everybody. Yes, Q. Q. Yes. Um, who, oddly enough, I remember specifically from the movie Multiplicity as the guy who's going up against Michael Keaton. I don't know why I remember that so well. I totally forgot that. Yeah. Uh, Jonas Bartok is a scientist who creates all these crazy gadgets and stuff out in the middle of nowhere outside of town. And he uses those gadgets to help create the character of Nicodemus Legend who was just in books. But he wants to make him a real thing. And then he essentially forces Pratt <laughs> to become what he becomes. Yeah, a force of good. And even though he's 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 a grumpy, fun character in this one, because whereas MacGyver went in 
with no hesitations whatsoever, no matter how dangerous the situation was. Pratt's always like, go, oh, really? I'll get up. I'll do this. All right. What electricity thing did you create that'll possibly kill us all? <laughs> yes. You want me to put, no. <laughs> Not doing that because we will fry. Trust me on this one. Uh, there's a character in this that's, they say he's a reoccurring, but um, I think he's in every single episode is Skeeter, played by Jared Paul, who um, amuses me to no end. He was in a different TV show called uh, Action with Jay Moore, where he was a very frustrated writer trying to write this huge blockbuster. And uh, he's now, oddly enough, a real writer. I think he wrote The Shaggy Dog with Tim Allen was his first movie, and now he just, that's all he does now, he writes. Huh. Cool. Is him. I'm still amazed at how many actors make that trend. Well, I don't know about writers. I guess they move to producer and director, but yeah, okay, never mind. Some some um, some people do step away from the limelight and they decide that they want to either write or direct or both. Uh, some people right. I don't know how they do it. How does Ben Affleck star, direct, and write these massive budget movies? And uh, with the exception of the last one, gets unbelievable critical acclaim in box office, and he's like, "No skin off my back. I got this." And everybody else is like, oh, right. my God, I can't even do one of those. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would have had a nervous breakdown a long time ago yeah. after one movie. Um, so it's it's all available by Mill Creek Entertainment. Um, you can get it in the five-buck bins. You know, those cheapo bins you find at all these department stores. Totally worth checking out. I didn't love yes. it anywhere nearly as much as Briscoe. I think there's something missing. I can't put my, pen, uh, my finger on it. The chemistry is there. The ideas are yeah. there. It's got special effects. It's got action. It's got romance. But there is something that I'm just like, hmm, I can't figure out what exactly it is that I, I why I'm not in love with this. There's one, I don't know, this, the cinematography or whatever, in my opinion, feels very much like a Star Trek episode. And I, there's probably a reason behind that, you know what I mean? Yeah, well, I noticed um, that networks or um, companies have a very particular look. You ever yeah. watch watch the sitcoms on CBS? They all look alike. Whereas you go over to NBC and it has a whole different feel. Uh, huh. And then like like CBS has like on stage with multi cameras, full audience, really brightly lit. Uh, NBC right. has more handheld, realistic. Even their comedies seem to be more like The Office, Parks and Recreation. It feels like you're there, and the film has kind of a darker, right. grittier look. You go over to ABC, where it's Disney money, yo! Disney money! They're pulling it out! Everything looks like a movie. <laughs> I'm okay with that. And Fox has I think the only thing I couldn't handle was the sepia tone. The whole, the whole, everything yeah. was orange. It, it was like... flat, whereas they found a way, the cinematography and the look of Briscoe County Jr. pops a little bit more. Yes. But this is also yes. when Fox was desperate to get out of the shadow of being, oh, that other network, the fourth network that doesn't really belong you know, and they and they were doing like teeny bopper stuff, and then they were doing the sleazy uh, stuff. You know, it was either Married with Children, you know, sleazy shows like that, or it was all copying right. the Beverly Hills 90210 look. And right, I think they wanted to separate themselves. So in '93, you look at Fox, and there's three shows that really stood out in my mind was X Files because they were trying to do something yes. more complex and darker. They have a big epic scope with Briscoe County Jr. The third show, no one remembers, except for you and I, and it was called Danger Theater, which was a parody yes. of all the action shows that we watched as children, and they had one called The Searcher, which was so <laughs> silly looking, and, and, and it was hand, like, this weird 16 millimeter look to it, 
but it popped. It looked like an old TV show mixed to like a comic book. I miss that. They got me the searcher. That's all right, man. <laughs> I'll be right there. Uh, searcher was the most popular of the three. Um, there was one with Adam West where he was in Hawaii, which was a lot of fun, but nowhere nearly as popular. And then I remember there was one that they tried with like this uh, kind of a parody of Miami Vice, but they were so low rent that all their crimes were like at trailer parks and stuff like that. But The Searcher <laughs> is definitely the one. Uh, you know what? Okay, technically Danger Theater is not uh, sci-fi, fantasy, or horror, but it is one step beyond reality. So I'm going to yes. find a way to get those episodes and you and I watch them and discuss them. I'm all I'm there, dude. Oh my god, we watched Brisk. We this is the year that you and I would like on you know on the hot summer days when it was too just too humid to be outside. We would be in my house with the air conditioner blasting on those huge couches that we had, watching tapes of Briscoe County Junior, X Files, um, uh, Danger Theater, and uh, there was a, I swear there was another show that we watched at that time. We watched a lot of MTV. We watched a lot of MTV. Too much MTV. Do you remember the Mighty Beach House Tiki God? <laughs> <laughs> I know we'd watch a lot of Headbangers Ball growing up. Oh my god, yeah. We would switch it over to 120 Minutes Headbangers Ball. Um, and then that show where apparently people just stood on platforms and danced out in the sun. I never understood that, but I didn't care. <laughs> well, uh, Pete, we were Pete, grown. We were we, teenagers. So. We watched a lot of Pete and Pete and Ren and Stimpy that year. Yes. Stimpy, you idiot. <laughs> Did you see them? You see the crowds? <laughs> <laughs> oh my lovely ice cream bar oh, oh. <laughs> I look back at that now I think what was I thinking seriously <laughs> I guess that's the whole point you didn't yeah. want to I mean that was a glorious summer because 93 is the summer where you and I really like became really close friends and, and Dave and Robert and Tim and Aaron and stuff like that and it was before we had to start working and then, you know, girl, yeah. relationship took over, job took over, driving took over, you know, you know, more, you know, planning for college. So that was the summer where we listened to Aerosmith, get a grip over and over and over. <laughs> Living on the edge. I still remember watching Living on the Edge and watching Smoking the Bandit too. I don't remember that. I remember the Aerosmith part. You were at someone else's house. You were babysitting, and I came with you because you were oh, bored. Oh, yes. And then we played, you played your saxophone, because I'm tone deaf. I couldn't play any instruments. At least that's what someone told me. <laughs> uh, uh, you played the, uh, the saxophone out in the middle of nowhere, and I think we heard a coyote howling. <laughs> <laughs> and we were like, it's time to go in. Yeah, let's go before we're eating. <laughs> Before they think I'm, you know, it's a mating call. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, that is it for the end of this episode. We've hit an hour. And uh, if I go on any longer, I'd just be like, hey, what's your favorite episode? What's, you know, I mean, uh, Dixie Cousins. Oh, still my, be still my beating heart 25 years later, almost 25 years later. Um, it's a fantastic show. Legend is, is a curiosity. Check it out, though. It's worth it's worth discovering. It's that weird point between MacGyver and Star, uh, Stargate where Richard Dean Anderson didn't seem like he knew exactly what he wanted to do. Right. And our right. next episode is going to be the 30th anniversary of Werewolf. And uh, I'm going to try to find something else to go with it. We could use some suggestions, maybe. Oh, dude, the list that I asked. Did you see the list people made for me? And these are just from I've my I've seen friends. a list. I don't think I've seen, I don't think I've seen the completed list. I have 63 shows written here. 63. 
Most of them are more recent, though, and I'm not. I'm gonna have the guys over at Above the Airwaves do those. But seriously, I got okay. uh, War of the Worlds TV show. I have Roswell. Um, the Cape was awesome. I like that. Uh, Eerie Indiana, Space and Above Beyond, The Bee, Wizard, which I don't remember at all. Shadow Chasers, which I've been obsessed with for 30 years. I have no idea how to find a single episode of this. It's driving me crazy. It was a TV version of Ghostbusters with Dennis Dugan, and it looked fun. Are you talking about The Wizard? The Wizard, you know what the little guy? I don't know. How do you say it now? Little person? In the 80s. It was like earlier. Late 80s? Yeah. Mm, maybe 86, 85, 86. Okay. I want to do yeah, Hard I remember Time, watching that. Hard Time on Planet Earth, which is a show that I confused with Auto Man for years. Um, I want right. to see that again. Uh, I have Something is Out There, Tales of the Golden Monkey, uh, The Phoenix, Wizards and Warriors. You remember Wizards and Warriors? Yes. Nowhere Man, Mantis, My Secret Identity, Out of This World, uh, Freaky Links, Sliders. Yeah, this list goes on and on and on. I'm seeing on Max Headroom, too. Max Headroom is the 30th anniversary of the TV show. Really? Yep. We're getting old, people. Matt, 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 Matt. Sorry. Speaking of Matt Frewer, there you go. That's the one thing people remember. You say Freaky Links? That was some of that was right. Yeah, Freaky Links was awesome. Do you remember Man and the Machine? Or Man and Machine? Where he had a cyborg cop. It was Yancey Butler from Hard Target. Maybe? Yeah, that was a pretty good one. But there's a long list of stuff we could definitely go through. I'm just putting it around in my head right now. Right. Some of them we covered. Right now, I think I think we're discussing with our audience right now. We are. So let us know what you're interested in. Let me know. <laughs> we'll set up a page for this if the show takes off. Um, eh, you know what? I might just set it up anyway. Maybe that'll help get the, take, make the show go off. Usually I wait a little bit to see how things go, and then I build a page for it, because it's hard to handle all this, because i got a lot of pages going on. <laughs> you should write a book. Sorry. I should. I have so many pages, I can write a fantastic book. Um, uh, so this is getting awkward. Uh, hi! Uh, you're still here. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody. This is the point where we look at the screen and go, are you still here? Why Why are you still here? Go home. The movie's <laughs> over. <laughs> okay, everybody. All check right. us out on Facebook under Retro Rock Entertainment. Ron, thank you very much for waiting around for thank us you. to actually prepare. He, he did some fantastic art for the episode. you got to see it. It looks amazing. It's in line with everything else we've done. Thank you. And um, let's end this episode with a little bit more of the Briscoe County theme. Sweet. Or... The Olympics, whatever. Yeah. In the credits, there's a guy named Robert J. Bacon, which means his name is Bob J. Bacon. What up, Bob Bacon? Love it. <laughs> Bobby Bacon. Sounds like a rapper name. Oh, best rapper ever. He, he, he smells smoky. He's fizzling. Oh, that was better. Or if you're in our house, you're setting off smoke alarms. Oh, it's so cute when they hug at the end. I'm such a big girl. All right, everybody. Good night. <laughs>